it's three minutes past six on Thursday the 13th of September. Coming up in the show, police in Luton believe the murder of teenager Delaney Brown a week ago was a result of a dispute between two families. Hear more about that next. And today we're talking about buses. Steady. You'll hear from school children in Hertfordshire who've been left stranded by their bus service. And apparently... You'll be treated better if you take the train. I want to hear your bus stories. I've got a few of my own, good or bad. Give me a call, 08459 455 555 or text 81333, starting your text 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. See, I thought it was B-U-S-S-E-S. That makes sense, buses, B-U-S-S-E-S. That's what you would think. And I, I tweeted the word buses spelt like that, and it just looked odd. So I went to my crack team of uh, spelling experts, which we have stationed here at the BBC. 50% of the team agreed with me. 50% thought it was B-U-S-E-S. Now, B-U-S-E-S, that looks right, but that spells buses, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? You need the double S. I know, listen, with the BBC, we're supposed to know everything, but on this one... I'm drawing a black... How do you spell buses, for goodness sakes? And when you're struggling to spell the word buses, you know that you're, it, it's going to be a, a, a rocky three hours. It, maybe it's because we've got a sleep expert coming in later on to tell us that apparently you don't wake up. Most people wake up at sort of like half six or something, but they don't actually mentally wake up until about half past ten. That's halfway through Jonathan Vernon Smith's show. I need to wake up before then. Anyway, I do want to hear your bus stories this morning. We've got some, some cracking stuff about that. And I have my own bus stories. I have an ongoing uh, battle with a bus driver near me, which has resulted um, in... Uh, it, once, he wouldn't move the bus, but when I got on, he refused to move the bus. And another time, he wouldn't stop for me. And so I stood in front of his bus and tried to film him. I know, I know. I am kind of like Larry David in that everyone is against me and I get very grumpy. It is like that. I'll tell you more about that a bit later on, but I do want to hear your bus stories, good or bad. I do use the bus a lot. I love the bus. I think it's the best way to get around. Uh, I, I love it. It's cheap uh, and it's, it's generally pretty good. But, but, sometimes bus drivers, you know. So there are some wonderful bus drivers, but there are a couple. You think, oh, goodness, for goodness sakes, come on. Ladies and gentlemen, what are your bus stories, dear listener? Good or bad? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. And on the converse, if you're a bus driver, I bet you have to deal with some right idiots, don't you? No one says thank you to the bus driver anymore. When I was a kid, everyone said when you got off the bus, you just go thank you, driver. No one does that anymore. I say thank you when I get on. I what? This is true, right? This is absolutely true, and I said this in the office, and no one believed me, and I swear this is true. I once saw a bus driver, I'm going to use street language, skinning up, a.k.a. rolling a drug cigarette. Honestly, he was rolling a drug cigarette whilst driving the bus. And I was so amazed, I couldn't say anything. Now, you you would normally say, you would think you'd say, um, sorry, what? But I was amazed, I was amazed, and let's be honest, a little bit intimidated by the drug uh, cigarette rolling bus driver. 08459 455 555. Your bus stories, good or bad? We'll be talking about that throughout the show. Oh, also world records. We've got some local world record uh, beating heroes on. If you can call um, having the world's fastest sheep being a hero, then we've got heroes on the show later on today. 
But, on a more serious note, police in Luton believe that the murder of teenager Delaney Brown in the town a week ago was the result of a dispute between two families. One is Delaney's family from Hockwell Ring, while the other is from Marsh Farm. However, police insist it isn't a gangland killing. Detectives say the 19-year-old cyclist was deliberately knocked down by a stolen silver BMW 1 Series in Vincent Road. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, has been speaking to Chief Inspector... Sorry, Detective Chief Inspector Steve Collin from the Beds and Hearts Major Crime Unit. Clearly there was a, an incident at 4.30 on the 5th of September in Vincent Road, which caused Delaney to be knocked off his pedal cycle and died at the scene. As I said, this I believe to be is a deliberate act um, on behalf of those that were driving a silver 1 Series BMW, which was a stolen vehicle from London. So you say, you say those, so there are a number of people in the car. Yes, clearly, as I said, there's one person, there uh, has been one person that's been arrested uh, on suspicion of murder who's on now on bail. There are other persons, I believe, to be in the vehicle, and I do believe the principal offender is still outstanding, and, of course, inquiries are being made into, to identify and trace that person. And you've seized that vehicle? Yes, this vehicle was recovered in the early hours of the morning in Morris Close Marsh Farm. Uh, the vehicle has been submitted for a uh, thorough... Uh, forensic examination. I'm quite optimistic there'll be some forensic evidence that will come from that vehicle in the form of fingerprints and DNA. So you're saying it's probably down as a result of a dispute between two families and it's not a gangland killing as such? Not a gangland killing. Uh, There is certainly evidence of a dispute between two families, one from Marsh Farm and one from Lucy Farm, Hockwell Ring. And that's, so that's Delaney, is it, Hockwell Ring? Delaney is from, uh, from Hockwell Ring. There is certainly, seems to have been a build-up between the two individuals and their, possibly their respective families, which the families will know about. Uh, once upon a time, I'm told, the families were actually quite close friends, um, but clearly something's happened between the families um, that's caused this incident to occur to quite a serious level, of course, resulting in, the, as I say, the tragic death of a very young man. Do we know the movements of the, the car in question, the silver BMW, and, and Delaney's movements in the run-up to this incident? In relation to the vehicle, clearly I'm interested in um, the uh, whereabouts of the vehicle on the 5th of September. Anybody that's seen the vehicle in the vicinity of Lee Grave Railway Station or Vincent Road, uh, at one stage this vehicle was travelling at speed, so that might um, jog some of his memory to come forward. So, yes, the appeal is there in relation to anybody seeing a vehicle, a one-series BMW, travelling at speed in the area of uh, Lee Grave. But what I do know is that uh, Delaney was in the town centre. Uh, he's travelled from uh, the town centre railway station to Lee Grave, which is a short stop, with his pedal cycle, and then has come off into... Um, uh, Toddington Road area um, and shortly afterwards within a matter of minutes uh, this instance occurred You're not getting any joy from the community on this in terms of, of feedback or, or them telling you anything, why, why do you think that is? Well I think this, this actually is to do with two families and those that know about this are quite tight to each of the two families so in terms of a community issue I think it's more to do with those that know if you like uh, and that's the challenge that I have to get these people to come forward and assist with, with the inquiry. The wider appeal, of course, is for people that may have seen the vehicle in the area to come forward. They may have something that consists with the details of the accident. Mm. Tony Fisher, they're talking to Detective Chief Inspector Steve Collins uh, about the uh, believed supposed murder of uh, Delaney Brown. We'll have more on that story a little bit later on. Here's a song you don't hear very often. I love this, but a George Harrison. Oh, yes. 
I love a bit of George Harrison. Here's here's a thing. I cried when George Harrison died. I've only cried when three celebrities have died. Maybe that's quite a lot. George Harrison, a singer called Arthur Lee from a band called Love that you won't have heard of, and David Jones and the Monkeys. Floods of tears when David Jones died. But when George Harrison died, I, remember, I was so upset. I love the Beatles. And I went and stood outside um, Abbey Road with uh, lots of <laughs> very, very strange people, it has to be said, just for a little bit. Uh, this is Ian Lee. It's 6.15. It's BBC Three Counties Radio. These are your headlines this morning on Thursday the 13th of September on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police in Luton are still looking for the driver who deliberately hit and killed a teenage cyclist on Vincent Road last week. Families of Liverpool supporters who died at an FA Cup semi-final in Hillsborough in 1989 say they will now press for criminal action. In sport, England beat South Africa by 28 runs in the final 2020 International at Edgbaston last night. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a few minutes. And coming up shortly, we're talking about teeth. And this, I mean, this is horrible. There is some shocking new research which has uncovered how often people in the three counties really brush their teeth. You lot are very, very mucky. BBC Three Counties Radio. And we want your bus stories, good or bad, 08459 455. Five double five. Oh dear! Do you know what? I, the, the way that this the, the radio works is, we ask for calls, and you you are very kind, and you call in. And I have a little screen where um, my production team type up on the screen what it is that the caller wants to talk about. Uh, <laughs> and Ben in Buckingham, I don't know why this is making me laugh. Talking about buses and how they're spelt. Ben, how is the word buses spelt? B U S. Oh, E S. Right, give it, give it again. Give it in one. Lo- do it. Run up to it and do it. B u s e s. But that spells buses, doesn't it? Um, I think it's buses because that's what it's got on the DVDs of on the buses we've got. Oh, you've got on the buses on DVD. Yeah. Ah, well, we should always go by the spellings from 1970s sitcoms. Do you use buses a lot, Ben? Uh, yeah, because of my disability pass. Right. And it lets me go anywhere for free in the country. Oh, on a bus. Any bus. Fantastic. That's got to really worth it. And what's your experience with buses? Good or bad? Mixed. Okay. Let's let's let's. Uh, why is it mixed? Because some are good and some are bad. Because some drivers try to make out they want me to pay when I've got a bus pass. Oh, hang on a minute. So you flashed them your disability pass yeah. that gets you free travel on buses anywhere in the country, and they what they say? Come on, mate. You owe us a couple of quid. Yeah. Well, and what do you say to them, Ben? I just tell them that it's on the card, and just and then in the end, they end up letting me travel. Because there is a very... I believe this is the, this is the law, OK? And someone can correct me on this. this is, I, I, I've been told this is the law. That if you don't have the money for your bus journey, they have to let you on anyway. Yeah. This is what I've heard. That if, that, yeah. I know, it sounds weird. That if you don't have the money for the bus, they have to let you on, and they give you, like, a little credit slip, yeah, yeah. and you're supposed to pay that, because they're not allowed to leave you stranded. I was told this oh. a few years ago. Yeah. If someone... If, if that's right or wrong... Oh, wait, 459, 455, 555. Uh, and I believe that to be the case. And I had this argument the other day with a bus driver when I, I didn't have enough money. And, I, and he said, you have to get off, mate. I went, well, actually, I think you'll find that you have to let me on. <laughs> I'm quite... I'm, quite a pain in the backside, uh, Ben, uh, at times. You may have noticed. Uh, I, I, in the end, he did let me on, but I think it was just because I was being um, irritable. But, but generally, Ben, you give buses the thumbs up? Yeah. Good lad, there we go. It's Ben in Buckingham. 08459 455 555. I was told that. Is that true? 
that they have to let you on, even if you don't have the money, and they give you a little credit slip, and you're supposed to pay. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's a bus special this morning on BBC Three Counties. Oh yes. Now, have you brushed your teeth this morning? Did you brush them last night? Well, a report by Sharp, the Simply Health Advisory Research Panel, says that just one over one in five people in beds, bugs, and hearts are going for two days without brushing their teeth. Two days, you dirty, dirty lot. And over a quarter of us are missing out on treatment because we can't afford it. Well, David Bloom has run a dental practice in Watford for 23 years. Morning, David. Good morning. Over one in five are not brushing our teeth for two days. Shocking, isn't it? That's horrible. Yes. Yes. Occasionally, I forget to brush my teeth in the morning. Occasionally. And the whole day I'm embarrassed because I know my teeth are dirty and and my mouth just tastes disgusting. Absolutely, yeah. How, uh, do you see this a lot, David? Um, I don't personally, but I'm very aware of it. Um, we've been aware for a while that gum disease is linked with a number of serious health issues, uh, not least preterm and low birth weight babies, uh, coronary artery disease, so that's strokes, uh, even osteoporosis. Hang- and there was a st- Hang on, sorry, are you no- saying that not brushing your teeth can lead to strokes? Yes. And, wow. uh, and heart disease, and also there is a study just done in California that shows that if you're brushing your teeth only once a day, you have a 65% increased risk of dementia. Really? How yeah. does that work? That seems that incredible one, the two are connected. It does seem incredible. That's the latest study. But we're very aware that, that gum disease is linked with general health issues. And the important thing is to be brushing at least twice a day with a fluoride toothpaste. And just as importantly, using something to clean between the teeth. Oh. Classically, classically, that would be floss. But now we have much easier ways to do that with little interdental brushes, like mini bottle brushes that I've, you use between the teeth. I've seen those. And when I go and see my dentist, I normally go every six months. Do you know what? I'm a couple of months late for my appointment, actually. So I need to sort that out. But every time I go uh, and uh, he's sometimes sends me to the hygienist and they say are you flossing and david let's be honest flossing it's such a chore isn't it it's messy it's it takes ages it is but now with these brushes much much less reason not to and there is some evidence that flossing isn't that effective but these brushes are essential because you're only cleaning maybe 60 percent of the teeth if you're not using the brushes is it a cost thing that people are missing out on treatment or is it still that lots of people are, uh, are still quite scared of the dentist it's possibly that, but I think it's education and preventative dentistry means that you're not going to have the problems and cleaning your teeth is not a cost issue because I think most of us can, can afford a toothbrush and uh, toothpaste in these brushes. I understand that there can be uh, difficulties affording the, the, the visit to the dentist, although we would encourage that because there is always uh, NHS options available. But um, I think the, the important point is educating people that they need to be brushing regularly and that's at least twice a day. I'm going to have a dental check later on during the show, which I'm, I, it seemed like a good idea when I suggested it, and now I'm dreading it. What, what's, uh, what's he going to be looking for? Well, first of all, he'll do an oral cancer screening, he'll check all the soft tissues, he'll check the health of your teeth, but also he'll do a gum screening to check that there are spaces between your teeth and your gum, which is an indication of gum disease. Oh, I, I, I suspect I'm going to be in trouble there. David, I, I believe you're off for a flight. We shall, you're at the airport. We shall let you go. Thank, Thank you, you very much. <laughs> David Bloom, live from Luton Airport, I believe there. He's uh, run a dental practice in Watford for 23 years. Brushing your teeth only once a day could increase your risk of dementia. Really? And if you don't brush your teeth, you have a higher chance of a stroke.
Wow, that's terrifying. I, I have, we have got a dentist coming in later on to look at my teeth. I'm a little bit nervous. I've got the, listen, 39 years old, not one filling in my head. Yes, not one filling in my head. But, oh, what's he going to find? Oh, it's going to be horrible, probably. Let's have a little bit of T-Rex while we think about teeth. The excellent Mark Boland there, and uh, I love to boogie. I've confessed to the team, and I was, w- was wondering whether I should confess this on air or not, and I'm going to, because I believe in being fairly open and honest on, on this show. I generally only brush my teeth once a day. Mmm. In the morning, electric toothbrush, and of course, when you use an electric toothbrush, you're supposed to hold it and not scrub it around like a normal toothbrush. We know that, don't we? That's a basic. But I only brush my teeth once a day. 39 years old, no fillings. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you that I'm at risk for de- from dementia and strokes, apparently, which is terrifying. How often do you brush your teeth? As long as you're doing it at least once a day, that's got to be all right, hasn't it? But some of you, some of you mucky lot, can go two days without brushing your teeth. Oh, you disgust me. How many times a day or a week do you brush your teeth? And we want your bus stories, good or bad. We've already heard from one caller who has mixed... Uh, responses from bus drivers when he flashes them his disabled pass. What's your stories? 08459 455 555. It's approaching half past six. Let's get the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. The Asian News Hour. On 630 <laughs> and 1161 AM. That wasn't meant BBC to. <laughs> Three Counties Radio. Oh, well, it, it isn't the Asian News Hour, but <laughs> I told you, when you're struggling to spell the word buses, that's, uh, that's kind of how things are going to go. Ah, well, isn't that interesting? Because that kind of leads us very neatly into what we're talking about this morning. A couple of things, uh, actually. We're talking buses. We're talking um, uh, not brushing your teeth, which we've just discovered, could lead to dementia. And also, we'll be talking in a few minutes about how we don't wake up until about half past ten. And I think, I think I've just proved that quite accurately there. We wake up about quarter past six on average in beds, bucks and hearts. It's not until about half past ten that our brain has engaged and got into gear. I think I'm living proof of that, if, if ever we needed it. 08459 455 555. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties. Here's Queen. It's Queen, I want to break free. There we go. Thank you very much. Good morning, dear listener. It's 6.36, Thursday the 13th September. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, are you awake at 6.36? Apparently not. It uh, would appear... Okay, Freddie, calm down. I think we get the idea. It would appear that people in the three counties who wake up at 6.15 don't actually feel they're most productive until 10.56. That's four minutes until the consumer hour on Jonathan Vernon Smith. Could it be to do with us skipping breakfast? It's what a third of us do. In fact, we skip breakfast four times a week or more. Well, um, Amersham-based nutritionist Diana Wright is with us now to discuss how we can improve our daily habits and in turn boost energy levels. Good morning. Good morning. Now, I... uh, I don't normally have breakfast, and I'm trying to get myself in the habit of having a little something before I come out to do this, because otherwise it's a long time before I can eat. So this morning, Mm -hmm. I had a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. and some bran flakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is that any good? That's okay. It's only okay. It's only okay. That's not going to last you too long. Bran flakes are just bran. They make you regular. Well, yeah, they do, and that can help cholesterol, but actually they won't last long. Oh. You want... Oats would be... A better bet. Oh, but oats are such a chore to no, do something not. in the morning. Not at all. If you're on the road and you can see uh, a McDonald's drive-through, yep. you can pick up uh, a, a 
made freshly made porridge yep. on 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 route you can buy a little sachet um of oats quakers do the sachets yes take it into work just use boiling water you've got oats it's really quick some of the girls here at bbc three counties do mm-hmm. the, the little oats packages mm-hmm. and um i tease them for doing that mm-hmm. i should probably stop that should i that's you should absolutely that's workplace it's bullying very good for cholesterol it's very good for slow release energy through the day i've got a banana i yeah. have a mixed relationship with bananas because they're they're only ripe for about 20 minutes they're either too hard or <laughs> this one's a little bit bruised and battered bananas are good aren't they slow release they of energy are, they are very good slow release for energy you need in the morning slow release energy yeah. but adding some protein would be good as well because that actually also supports your adrenals which is what you're trying to boost up in the okay. morning to get you going so, so what would you listen i've got to say you have brought in a whole selection of breakfasts you're the, you're coming in every single day this is <laughs> awesome so what there would give give me some protein right so some something that easy so i'm i'm, I'm somebody that's very practical you know yep. I've brought up a family i work so yes. you know it's gonna be easy nuts nuts now, uh, yeah nuts now you know at the end of the day, people say oh what about the uh, calories yeah. actually they're full of good fats so very important f- for the brain so stuff your face full of nuts first thing in the morning F- a few anyway. yeah okay yeah. and that, that that will help with the banana yeah. that really goes well or a yogurt there we are brought some oh, now yogurt I'm, I'm into it because mm. nuts and a banana it's a little bit boring isn't it really absolutely, yeah yeah i mean it's someone a nutritionist that's what i would do but yeah absolutely you want to be realistic yeah. and, and enjoy your food of course it's, it's there to enjoy so you've got a nice yogurt yeah absolutely a yogurt is is half carbohydrate and half protein so even just a yogurt on its own will be actually f- slow release give you the protein right and just keeps you going i like a bit of yogurt isn't yogurt a bit fatty no, not if Is you get not? the low fat. No, oh, if you get the low fat, of course, that's the, the obvious. Ones, yeah. Yes, well done, thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it depends if you need feeding up or not. I buy these for my husband because he's he's quite slim, does a lot of exercise, so he needs the great one. I use the low fat Activia, which has got lots of good bacteria, very good for regularity. These, I say, this is what this is what I like. As I'm getting older, the, the being regular is, is a very important so part important, of my lifestyle. Absolutely. These these good bacterias, mm. surely this is just nonsense, isn't it? Made up by a marketing company? No, not really. No, it's not nonsense. No, not at all. Um, the reputable uh, companies will put some strains of good bacteria. I mean, yogurt has good bacteria anyway. Otherwise, it wouldn't be yogurt. Yes. Um, so you can make your own. Okay. If, you know, it's very cheap and easy. My mum used to make her own yogurts. They were horrible. In oh. the 70s, one of those yogurt-making <laughs> machines. They were yeah, I know, pretty rough. Yeah, I do remember, yeah. Okay, what, you, you've got loads of fruits there, obviously. Yes, some raspberries uh-huh. and bits and pieces. Yeah, slow, again, slow release. Yep. Um, and actually, you can make them into a smoothie. So I actually brought you oh, a, a you. one that you can buy. Yes, and, and ready-made smoothie. Yeah, I mean, instant are oh, very good because they're very natural. But yep. remember, fruit does have a lot of its own sugar in. Yeah. But at least you've got the put the the fiber in it so it's slow release yes again with some nuts would be good but i make my own got, i've got to say dear listener the, 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 you've come in with a flask yep. of what's in this flask now your smoothie. this is my breakfast all right especially on an early and this was early for me i mean i am used <laughs> to doing early but and you are time, very perky at this time so obviously you're I'm, doing something right i'm better i'm I am, I'm actually a morning person, if you ask my friends. Right. I'm not very good Oh, at... what's that you're pouring right, out? This, oh, my no, goodness. you may not like this as much, but Look at in that. here, Thick... so all women out there who have um, hormonal imbalances... <laughs> yes, I'm not really... I'm laughing at hormonal imbalances. I do apologise. <laughs> Sorry, I'm rude. Sorry. This is really good. So yes. this is soya milk. 
some ground flax seeds, all very good for your hormones. It sounds awful. Banana, banana, and some vanilla. Okay, vanilla's got me. And then you can add a bit of honey. A little dash of honey's going in there. I sort of don't do a huge amount of that, but there we are. You can have a little try. (laughs) Can I have some? Yeah, I brought it for you. You're very kind. Thank you very much. Okay, so a little stir. I'm just going to slurp it out of the cup if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, that's an interesting taste. <laughs> I would, I would have added. I, I, I'm getting the vanilla. I would have added yeah. a load more honey. Yeah. yeah, well, exactly. And you can add uh, other fruits. So you know, you can add things like right. raspberries nice. and things like that. Yes. But that I just quickly did before I came out. Now, uh, you know. But I, I would suggest that the ladies, girls, women, you lot, mm. you're more practical at that kind of stuff. Blokes just want to get up, have a couple of slices of toast, a bit of marmite on it, and, yeah. and that's it. Is, is, yeah. is toast on marmite any good for you? Yeah, yeah, wholemeal toast. Yes. Um, I'm not a huge fan of marmite uh, because it's high salt, high yeast. Yeah, salt's good for you, isn't it? No. Whoa, hey, no. what? Salt's not good for you at all. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for your blood pressure. My wife, I do like, I do like a little bit of salt, and okay. my wife gets very angry with me. You know why that is? It's because because you're trying to boost up your adrenals right yeah oh. so salt you, you salt feeds the adrenals but, yep. but not always in a good way actually what would be really good is wholemeal toast yep. with peanut butter on it <sighs> oh you said peanut butter i can't or stand peanut you butter have wholemeal toast low sugar jam something like some day free because you don't want loads of sugar yes and then you can have if you're yeah i mean that that would be okay on the way and then again you need some protein yeah so do you know what? I teach the teenagers yeah. to do scrambled eggs in the microwave. It takes one minute. You're right, actually. It uh, really is easy. Scrambled and it comes eggs. out really nice. It's not all horrible. Always done scrambled eggs in the microwave. Yeah. It's the best way to yeah. do it. One minute, one egg, bit of water, in it goes. You've, uh, uh, you've got those little um, fruit bars as well, yeah. the snack bars. Yeah, I always tell the teenagers, because actually, guys, when you're going to school, you need breakfast, just something to keep your blood sugars feeding your brain. Yeah. And, I mean, we all do. So, um... I, th- I always say to the, especially the girls, are the ones that often miss right. breakfast. Even if you just eat on the way to school uh, a, a sort of cereal bar. Yep. Now some of them can be full of sugar, but actually the more oaty based ones with with some dried fruit and some nuts seeds are really good. My little boy loves those. I find them very dull. They're very, they're very. Dull. You, you brought a muffin in. There is no way you you cannot tell me, Diana, that a muffin is a good healthy breakfast. Oh well, actually, in the morning you burn that off. It, it's not really that, absolutely. You brought massive yeah. muffin. I mean, in. yeah, this is <laughs> this is one you can buy yeah. right on the en route. Yes. Okay, go to a little drive-through. You can yeah, go and get that exactly. So, because I, I wanted it to be practical, you know, you can do what I've given you, or you can do something practical. Pretz is brilliant in yeah. London. So there's a lot of people up in the city who got Pretz and Starbucks. And and costume. Yep. they all do. I'm surprised um, by the muffin. They're better, better. No, they're great. you surprised me with your muffin no. first thing in the morning, <laughs> Diana. Listen, thank you so much for coming in. That's all right. Are we, are we allowed to eat this stuff? You can. Oh. I'll leave some of it for you. <laughs> and just remember those as well. The granola yes. is very quick and easy to. Very. D- Twenty seconds. I've just changed from the blue milk to the green milk. Is that going to save my life? What's what's the blue top? The blue top. You've gone into because little, my little boy drinks the blue top, the full fat. Yeah, and I've gone should. into the green. Is that be, is, is that is better? That, yeah, that's low, lower fat. That yeah. would be good for me. Yeah, yeah, it would. Okay, I just wanted to check. So I was doing something properly. That's Diana Wright. Thank you so much for coming. That's it's a, a lot pleasure. of fun, <laughs> and your smoothie is delicious. Okay. And I like the muffin as well. So that's excellent <laughs> stuff. Right, let's get your news headlines. It's Thursday, the thirteenth of September at six forty-five. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Luton police are appealing to, for help identifying the driver who deliberately hit and killed a teenage cyclist on Vincent Road last week. 
Families of Liverpool supporters who died in the Hillsborough disaster say they will now press for criminal action after yesterday's damning report on the events 23 years ago. In sport, the England cricket squad fly out to Sri Lanka later today for the World 2020, which starts next Tuesday. Your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. We're set for a fine and dry day, a bit warmer than yesterday, with a top temperature of 19 degrees. And coming up before 7am... Following the report out yesterday from an independent panel, families of Liverpool supporters who died at an FA Cup semi-final in Hillsborough in 1989 say they will now press for criminal action. We'll hear more about that shortly. BBC Three Counties Radio. I have to say, Diana, the nutritionist we had in just then, has left us a whole stack of goodies. And I can see that uh, my team are eyeing them up. I'm sorry, guys, they're, they're in the studio. And as you know, the studio is out of bounds to you lot, so I will have to eat them. We'll give out Diana's website uh, in a little bit as well. Uh, I enjoyed that. I thought that was good. Now, the new Guinness Book of uh, Records comes out today. And boy, oh boy, are Beds, Hearts and Bucks well represented in there. We got some cracking <laughs> world records in there. I do like world records. You don't really. When I was a kid, getting a world record was was kind of the ambition of of everybody. We've got Steve Wenman on the line. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Steve. You're in the Guinness Book of World Records, are you? We are. How exciting is that? Can I ask you? What is your world record? What's the world record? We have the world's fastest sheep. Oh, come on! This this is what <laughs> makes Britain great. People who say Britain is broken have not spoken to Steve Wenman. How, how fast is your sheep, Steve? Well, our sheep, over last year, over the 2011 season, had, we calculated, 179 races. <laughs> and out of that, it's won 164. Oh, come on. Fantastic. I didn't know sheep races existed, Steve. This wasn't, was this part of the Olympics that I didn't see? Unfortunately, it wasn't this year, but maybe next time. Maybe next oh, time. Unbelievable. This is, when will they learn? When, Rio, come on, pull your finger out. <laughs> Uh, and what, what, what's your sheep called? Our sheep is called Lamborghini. <laughs> I didn't know how to react to that, Steve. <laughs> I was, uh, you were met with silence. Um, uh, OK, so how does this work? You've got a sheep, it's running a load of races. When, at what point do you think, do you know what, we should get Norris McWhorter on the phone and, and uh, get him in the Guinness Book of Records. What, how does this work? Well, we rerun sheep races over the season, so we start right. sort of May-June time. Yep. And uh, we usually do one or two, one or two a day over a, over a course that's around sort of two hundred and fifty meters. Yeah, um, we have about eight separate jumps in it as well. Mm. And uh, over that time, he was just head and shoulders above everyone else. Super. And uh, somebody said that you know that must be the fastest sheep, and we didn't think much of it. And uh, I'd say a few people from our marketing looked into it. And, uh, unbelievably, it was a world record. And do, where do you find people small enough to be the jockeys? <laughs> we have a collection of very small animals that, uh, <laughs> that ride it. It's actually ridden by a fluffy pig. Hey, there we go. Steve, listen, congratulations on getting in the Guinness Book of Records. Send our best to Lamborghini. We will. He's still there every day if people want to come and see him. Good work. Whereabouts, whereabouts can they come and we see him? We are in Woburn Common up near High Wycombe. Superb. Steve Wenman there, who's got the, the, the fastest sheep. We'll be looking at more of these world records throughout the day. That's fun, isn't it? Uh, if you're just listening to... Uh, we, uh, we had uh, Diana Wright in, who is a nutritionist, uh, and her website, if you want to go and check it out, is dianawright.co.uk. Diana Wright, with a W, dot co, dot UK. Uh, we're talking about buses. Apparently, bus passengers are treated uh, w- worse than train passengers. 
And I want your bus stories, good or bad. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Paul in Bletchley is called in. Paul, what's your story? Oh, hello, Ian. Hello, good Paul. morning. Yeah. Um, well, my fr- the other a couple of weeks ago, my friend was waiting at Wing for a bus to Aylesbury. Yes. Um, t- the temp, well, about the ten past eight. Now, after that, there's a, it's over an hour to the next one. That bus comes Milton Keynes, Leighton Buzzard. You know, so it's quite an important bus. Very I, important. I, I ring the bus because he rang me because to ring off his mobile expensive, you know, to ring these 0844 numbers. So I, no. I rang in. I said, look, you know, my, my friend's been there, standing there 20 minutes. I mean, you know, what's going on? They said, well, we don't know. We'll ring you back. Well, they put me on hold for about five minutes. And no. then, anyway, he said, definitely ring you back. So nothing happened. So I ring again about another 15 minutes. Oh, you know, they said, no, we, we don't know what's going on. You know, I said, well, doesn't, don't your drivers ring in, you know, when, 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 when something goes wrong? You know, well, well, well you know, and nothing happened. You know, just couldn't help at all. Nobody rang me back. And in the end, it did turn up an hour later. There'd been an accident. And apparently, according to the passengers, the driver had rung in to the depot to report what was going right. on. And I'm just saying, you know, the communication's awful because he didn't know what to do, whether to go home, get his car, you know, whatever, you know. In London and in various other places, yeah. they have those little um, electronic signs, don't yeah, they, that say they the do. next bus is coming in five minutes. Yes. Would that, have been, that would have been helpful in that situation, wouldn't it? It would have done. And even to know what was going on, you, you know, I mean, when you say, when you've got a gap of over an hour, and yeah. there was other people at the bus stop, and the bus stop at Wing has got no seats, I believe. I've stopped there, stayed there before. I'm waiting for a bus there. There's no shelter. There is one on the other side of the road, I think, but there's no, no shelter, no nothing. Thing, you know, and there's other people waiting as well, you know, and just not to know. Not to know. That's that's the frustrating thing. Do I walk? Should I stay or should I go? Paul in Bletchley, thank you very much. Let's hear your stories about buses. 08459 455 555. Paloma Faith and 30 Minute Love Affair. Now, if you've looked at any of the papers this morning, you can't miss all of the front pages are uh, covering the Hillsborough story after 23 years of lies, basically, from various different organisations. Yesterday, a 400,000-page document was released that finally told the truth about what happened uh, in Hillsborough 23 years ago when 96 football fans were killed. Uh, our reporter, Gavin Lee, has been following the uh, event. Morning, Gavin. Where, Morning, uh, where yeah. do we start? There's so much yeah. emerged yesterday, chiefly that fans were still alive after the crush and they weren't given the help they should have been. Yeah, I think that of, of all of the threads, of all of the wrongdoings, the failures, I think it boils down to that. For the families who, on the one hand, have said, whilst you know it, it has really scarred the whole city, you know, being labelled self-pity city for all of these years, being labelled as drunk and almost having to defend the dead of what happened over Hillsborough, that pales into insignificance when it, compared to the fact that yesterday, most of the families found for the first time after 23 years that 41 of those fans who were killed um, may or had the potential to be saved by the emergency services and weren't. I mean, what the situation was, that there were 41 who weren't breathing, but were sorry, weren't conscious, but either were still breathing or their hearts and lungs were working for up to an hour after, yet there was one single ambulance in the Leppings Lane end where the crush was happened, where there were 10,000 people, you know, many, as we know 96 of them being killed and the other 40 ambulances outside Side of the, the ground didn't get now. now. Now, whether that was because of lack of radios, poor radio contact, communication breakdowns, the pa- panel is clear. The ambulance service were chaotic and a, a swifter approach would, may have saved lives. The other thing to, to briefly mention as well is the police in all of this. You know, we've heard about the ho- more than 100 bits of um, information, reports from junior officers that were doctored, that were made to, well, give the, the 
police a clean slate and blame it on the fans and collude with some of the uh, newspapers for this. But, you know, I think ultimately there was one very big um, indictment for Chief Superintendent David Duckingfield, who was a man with minimal experience. The panel said it had confided no rationale why he was put in charge of crowd control. It says he panicked, he froze, and he blamed the fans for his own fatal errors. The Sun have issued an apology after their infamous uh, front page. I- I'll yeah. be honest, I thought that their front page was going to be an apology. It's it's page five, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an odd thing, isn't it? It's to, to do the, the truth and then the real truth, and, and possibly some people suggest it speaks volumes of, of a newspaper that you know, operates like this. However, you know, this is, it's a huge thing to do in the first place, mm. um, to, to make this apology. However, you could say it comes off the back and almost echoes the same words of David Cameron, then Sheffield Wednesday, then the police, then the ambulance service. Now, the same words are used. We are profoundly sorry. Uh, you know, Kelvin McKenzie, the former editor, appears extremely humble this morning, saying that, you know, at the time in charge he was given this information but he is sorry to, for smearing all of those fans that you know so as, he, as he should because he's carried that on through the years hasn't he so yeah. Oh, yeah he has been equally vociferous mm. to stand by his so-called sources at the time which you know have appeared to have fallen down with this with this panel uh, yesterday and i think the big thing was certainly for a lot of fans the suggestion that they were stealing from the dead and they were uh, entirely behind this it, you know it, it's hard to stomach i think ian mm. some of this information when you are told even reporting on this that you know there, there was deliberate misleading claims insults and smears from the police from within the ambulance Incredible. as well and many of these or at least some of these should i say officers are still within south yorkshire police and the chief constable has said last night that this will be looked into and uh, you know I, I expect that to roll on in terms of suspension the thing that really shocked me was that the, the, the lies and the smears from the ambulance service and from the government but maybe i'm just being naive gavin uh, listen thank you very much there's gavin lee there talking about the um, revelations that were made in the four hundred thousand page document that was released yesterday that finally uh, told the truth about Hillsborough. And I think this story is going to go on and on as families now decide whether they should start taking legal action. This is Ian Lee, BBC, <coughs> excuse me, Three Counties Radio. Seven o'clock, we're going to news a little bit late, but I thought it was worth speaking to Gavin about uh, the Hillsborough revelations. Lots more to come up in the next two hours, including buses and how often do you brush your teeth, you mucky lot. Here's the news with Catherine Boyle. <laughs> I am waking up now. I've had a porridge, a muffin, a nut bar, and two yogurts. I, I think I'm just a little bit more, and I'll be there. <laughs> I think. Good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thursday, the 13th of September. On the show today, police in Luton believe the murder of teenager Delaney Brown a week ago was a result of a dispute between two families. You'll hear more in just a little bit. And today we are talking buses. I am branding the show a bus special. For no other reason than we're talking about buses quite a lot. Apparently, you'll be treated better if you take the train. We'll hear from some school children in Hertfordshire who've been left stranded by their bus service. And what's your experience with buses? Good or bad, I want to know. 08459 455 555. And if you're a bus driver, let's get the converse. What's your experience with us passengers? You can text 81333, start your text 3CR, email 3cr at bbc.co.uk, or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The community in a part of Luton where a teenager was killed when he was knocked off his bicycle by a stolen car have been expressing their shock. 
Police believe 19-year-old Delaney was killed on Vincent Road as a result of a feud between two sets of families in Lucy Park, Lucy Farm, sorry, and Marsh Farm. One person has been arrested and bailed on suspicion of murder, but police believe there were others in the Silver One Series BMW. The community living on Vincent Road in Leegrave have been given their reaction to the killing. You know, just coming out of um, work around this time last week, that's when uh, my son heard a loud um, bang. And then when he looked out through the window from, from, from his bedroom, that's when he saw uh, someone lying on the pavement and uh, a car was just just disappearing on the cave well you could you could make up from from the noise from the noise and the sound of the car going that there could have been a collision of some sort basically this is a very quiet area and uh, mostly the elderly live around this place here you also want to take into account um, their styles of life for them to to witness such a thing is quite horrific really it's quite shocking I'm, I'm still in a state of shock this whole neighbourhood and round the other side is all quiet and we don't expect things like this to happen because there's not really much young people in this part of the road so it's not always quiet nothing bad really happened and for this to happen it's going to shock the community it, the majority is elderly people because i always do my paper on down here and then some of yeah they're all welcoming nice and stuff and easy to talk to when i'm delivering the paper and like my, my mum said if she lived down there she, she would have be able to deal with it she will have to move because seeing a dead body just lying there on your drive and having to remind you of it every time you walk out well I don't think anyone could move on for it but hopefully they could it's really a really a very peaceful area and so after this incident a little bit disturbance here so because mostly people here they're elderly and all things so yeah things are a little bit disturbed because um, people are keep coming here so paying tribute where this accident happened and so it's shocking yeah, because uh, nothing this thing this sort of thing happened here I think so all the people are really surprised and uh, because of this kind of accident happened and the reaction we get so everyone's a little bit scared too at the same time because they're concerned about this thing because the because of this incident We'll have more on that story later on. Now, a report has come out that says <clears throat> you are better treated on trains than you are on buses. I use the bus a lot. I know. I'm a very wealthy celebrity. I'm not at all. Uh, but I, I love using the buses. And who doesn't? Who doesn't? Right. Like sitting on the top deck of the, the bus at the front, pretending you're the driver. We've all, we've all done that, haven't we? Huh? Just me there. Okay. Well, I do that quite a lot. It's fun. Uh, and I do get buses um, a, a lot. Uh, but what are your bus stories? I've had a few run-ins with buses uh, and bus drivers. There's one who is my nemesis. And um, I'm constantly... He sometimes won't stop for me. And I, I have stood in front of his bus before in an attempt to get him to stop. Anyway, 08459 455 555. Uh, let's go to Rodeo in uh, Milton Keynes. Rodeo, what's your story without mentioning any bus company names, if you can, please? Yeah, uh, my story is I, haven't, I know an old lady who lives in Coffee Hall. Yes. Milton Keynes. 
this is um, what is it, seventy eight, something like that. Yes. And she uses a cinema frame when she goes out the, out of the house. Right. Uh, you know, one of those foldable ones. Yeah. Now there's a lot of young families with children in the area where she lives. Yeah. And uh, she constantly gets refused to get onto the bus because of the cinema frame. Because all the young parents has uh, bodies with kids in it. Right. So there's no space for her and her cinema frame. She has to take the uh, taxi into town if she wants to go shopping. Uh, can't the cinema frame go in the luggage rack or something? It can be folded up, flat, nothing, no problems, but the bus driver won't get on. Well, that seems a little fair. I mean, obviously, right, you'd agree that the, the mums and dads with the buggies should be allowed yeah. to go in the buggy space, of course. That's what that's of there course, for. Of course, but if the bus is half empty, I can't see any problems in having a person with a Zimmer frame well, on no, it. Well, no, not in the slightest. The bus is half empty, and also, if the Zimmer frame <laughs> folds up, as you, you say it does, why do you think the bus driver does that? Is that laziness? Is, it, is he a job's he worth? He, he says he can only have four foldable things on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> he can only, sorry, I'm laughing because that sounds so ridiculous. He can <laughs> yeah. only have four foldable things on the bus? Yeah. Well, that's... Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe a bus driver could give me a call and let me know. Is that true? It seems it seems a little heartless, doesn't it, Rodeo, to turn away a 78-year-old woman from a bus? <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, well, listen, thank you very much. Uh, 08459 455 555. Is that true? You can only have four foldable things on a bus. Oh, dearie, dearie me. Len's in Hemel Hempstead. Good morning, Len. Tell us your story, but without mentioning any bus routes or companies, please. Yeah, OK. I was, went on a bus the other day. Yeah. And um, I am totally blind. OK, totally. Um, yeah, totally. Right. Do, you have, do, you have, do you have a dog or a stick or anything? No, I've got a white cane. OK. I was with my lady. Oh, hello. And I came to get off the bus and there was people that had got on with prams yep. and they'd park the prams so the handles were into the gangway. Ah. Uh. Now, that narrows the gangway down to about eight inches yep. because they do it both sides. They're only supposed to take uh, two of these buggies on, not four, as they say. Yeah. And as I was coming off, I caught, older, caught the handles of one and then there was also a bag put on the floor. Ah. I went flying over this bag, yes. and if I hadn't been able to grab the bar at the side, I'd have gone headfirst through the window. Right. On telling the bus driver, the, this woman bus driver, she was very unsympathetic mm. and said, oh, there's nothing there that's in your way. I said, well, you know, I've just gone over, and my lady friends told her he'd gone over. Yes. And she told, I said I'd be reporting it, and she turned around and told me, do what you like. Uh, mm, uh, I've reported. Did you report it in the end, Lem? Yeah, I sent a, a letter into the company. Did you get any reply? No. No. They just totally ignored it. I've made complaints. I, I've, I've phoned up complaints, and they said, OK, we'll look into this. And I said, will I hear anything back? 
oh no, it's not our policy to to report back to the customer our findings. Well, that's no good. Well, no. Let, listen, I, I, as someone who takes a buggy on board a bus, I know how frustrating it is to be waiting in a bus queue for twenty minutes. A bus comes by and they won't let you on because it's got already got enough buggies on. I, I, I don't know if the buggies are the problem here, Len. I think that the, the idiot that left their bag in the middle of the gangway is, is the real criminal in all of this. It started. It was the buggy handles right. in the gangway. Right, and is you that know, they what, should turn them the other way so that it, the buggy goes into the opening, not in yes, not into the gangway. You're right. Or, or also, also, if I have my again, I will be slightly in defence of the buggy people. If my if I have my buggy in there and I can see someone coming who maybe needs a little bit of a wider room for whatever reason, uh, mm. then I'm always make sure that I kind of get. Oh, out, yeah. I move the buggy yeah. around a bit. Can you get through? Are you all right, love? I'm always. Yeah, but a lot of them they don't, don't even offer. They don't, and that's very naughty. Uh, Len, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope you're all right, and maybe we'll speak to you again soon. Okay. Cheers, mate. Take care. That's Len in Hemel Hempstead. Uh, Is the attitude of bus drivers, and not all bus drivers, and not knocking all of you, some are fantastic. Some go above and beyond. I've heard stories from my production team of bus drivers that will actually go 50 yards past the bus stop, and and they're not supposed to, but they'll let an old lady off a little bit further down because it's nearer to her house. That's a nice thing to do. That's a bit of humanity. But some bus drivers' attitudes are terrible. I saw this. I just remembered this one night, quite late at night. I saw an old lady trying to get on a bus. Okay, and the bus was at the bus stop. She was running as fast as her little frail old legs would take her. She didn't quite make it, and even though the driver saw her, he shut the door, started to move away, and then stopped because there was a bit of traffic. And she was banging on the door. He wouldn't let her in. Right, ten yards away from the bus stop. So I got in front of this bus and I stopped. And I didn't move. And I sat there for three minutes until the bus driver kind of relented, let the old lady in. And I drove away. My work there was done. <laughs> oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Bus drivers, come on the air. I want to hear from a nice bus driver or a grumpy bus driver. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. This is Ian Lee at 7.15, Thursday, the 13th September. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police in Luton are still looking for the people responsible for the hit-and-run death of a teenage cyclist on Vincent Road last week. Families of Liverpool supporters who died in their Hillsborough disaster say they will now press for criminal action after yesterday's damning report on the event 23 years ago. In sport, England's cricketers beat South Africa by 28 runs in the third and final 2020 International to level the series at 1-0. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a moment with Chris Bell and coming up... School children in Hertfordshire are finding themselves stranded outside their school after classes because of a change to bus scheduling. We'll find out more before 7.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. The new Guinness Book of Records is out. I didn't know they still did it in a book. I thought they got rid of the book. When I, I remember being a kid and the Guinness Book of Records was a cracking read. It was every schoolboy would look at that and pour over it at, at, at the weird, the obscure, and the, the downright dangerous. Well, the new one is out today, and Beds, Hearts, and Bucks is very well represented uh, in it. Adrian, good morning. Good morning. You're in the Guinness Book of World Records. I am. Can I ask you, sir, what have you done that makes you so special? I uh, gave a performance of the complete works of Shakespeare non-stop, <laughs> single-handedly. <laughs> yeah, you laugh laughing, it was traumatic. I bet it was hell for you and the audience. It, it was, well, the, the poor audience, of course, was, was indeed traumatised. They were able to, <laughs> to, to, to move.
move on and for new people to come right, in. Okay, uh, but but it took me five days, four nights. Whoa! I, I, I'm assuming you must have had breaks during that. You would have five minutes break every hour. So is that it? That's it. <laughs> so hang on. Sorry, how long did it take? It took five days. With only a five-minute break every hour. Yep. Oh my god! I thought you'd have had like a night off and had a. And you, you did you weren't you, you were reading them, were you? You hadn't learnt them all. Um, I, I'd learnt two of them um, because I wanted to to prepare for myself to yep. close my eyes or maybe maybe lie down a little. Um, but the rest, of course, were were performed book in hand. <laughs> Oh, well, that's easy, Adrian. Anyone can do them book in hand. <laughs> what on earth made you think that that would be a good idea, you fool? Well, you call me a fool. Um, Roy Castle, who you all remember... Of course, uh, yes. Gerard's Cross, was a very good friend of mine. Was he really? He was indeed. How fantastic. Um, Roy Castle was a, was a lovely man. Well yes, done. Yes, and, and, and much missed. Yeah. Um, I used to go down to their house in Bournemouth uh, every summer. And Roy and I were in the sauna one night, uh, as you do, and, and, and we were talking about his nine records at the time, yep. and, and he mentioned to me that, that this record was then held by a group, I think it was a group of 12, oh dear. had done this. And I thought, well, that's no real sweat. 12 <laughs> people doing this is just about 10 hours or, you know, to, to 15 hours each. Um, and, and he said, well, why don't you go for it? Um, uh, they were rebuilding the Globe Theatre at the time. Yep. Prince Philip agreed to kick me off. <laughs> and, and it all kind of snowballed, um, and, and it was uh, it, it was great to plan, but yeah. in the middle of it, it was traumatic. I had NASA advising on the effects of sleeplessness. Um, did you really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and <laughs> were you hallucinating? So, like, two days into it, did you suddenly start hallucinating and believe that you were Richard the Third or something? Well, it's, it, it's funny. I, it's, it's about two and a half to three days. NASA did warn me that hallucinations would start, but I'd, I'd never done that in my life. Yeah. I, I didn't know what hallucinations felt like. Mm. Um, and when I started, it wasn't as though I thought I, I was Richard the Third. I was actually seeing weird things on the script. And right. a play I had learnt uh, by heart was coming out while I had a different play in front of me. Right, how incredible. It was weird. Uh, so when did you break this record? Now, this was actually 25 years ago 20, this year. 25 years ago. And, and, and Roy was still around. Was Roy there? Did he come and cheer yeah. you on? Yes, 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 he certainly did. Um, I had, he, had his daughter, um, whose name is Anto, uh, was my stage manager for, for the entire five days. She was at my side throughout. Uh, the poor thing. What if you, Adrian? Well, this, this must be the fear of every record breaker. You must wake up in the middle of, a, of the night in a cold sweat, worrying that there's some guy in China who's going to do it in four days. Does that ever concern you? Well, the four days wouldn't beat it because this is marathon, so they'd have uh. to do the five days plus something else. Oh, they'd have to go longer. Okay, they'd I go see. Longer, yeah. Okay. Well, it, it looks like your record is safe, Adrian. Wonderful. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for bringing up Roy Castle as well. Always nice to remember Roy. Cheers, indeed. Cheers, Adrian. Thank Pleasure. you. Bye. There we go. Look at that. You see. From Gerard's Cross. My mum lives in Gerard's Cross. Uh, isn't that... Sorry, I just always throw that in. Oh, they mentioned Gerard's Cross on the radio. That's what she would say. If she listened to me, she doesn't. Uh, well done, Adrian, who uh, read all of Shakespeare... Performed all of Shakespeare's works in five days. Superb. 08459-455-555. A new report by MP says bus passengers are getting a raw deal compared with people who travel by train, even though three times as many of us use the bus. 
School children in Hertfordshire are finding themselves stranded outside their school after classes because of a change to bus scheduling. Pupils at St George's School in Harpenden have only been given five minutes to get from their classrooms to the bus stop to catch the last bus back to Flamstead. Parents are naturally worried at the thought of their children, some as young as 11 years old, being left on the side of the road with no way to get home. Our reporter Jenna Benson is in Flamstead now. Good morning, Jenna. Good morning, yes. I'm here outside the bus stops with uh, some very angry parents. Now, you may remember there were a lot of concerns when school bus services were reduced in many of the places across the three counties in the last year. Now, many councils drastically reduced the number of school buses running in order to save money. Now, that's affected the parents and children of Flamstead in particular. Now, the UNO Bus Services Limited, the, the company, now provide a service that takes children from this village to a number of schools. It's the pupils from Flamstead who attend St George's in Harpenden who've had the most difficulties. They face being left at the roadside if they don't dash straight out of their classes across the school grounds and across a busy road to get their last bus home. I'm joined by some local people here at the bus stop in Flamstead High Street where the kids get the bus every day. Now, Lucy, let's start with you. How's your son Charlie been affected by these problems? Um, Well, he's missed a couple of buses home at the end of the day, which has involved me trying to sort out my other children to then be able to go and pick him up. Um, and he's becoming quite anxious about having to make it to the last, to the only bus that leaves St George's to come back to the village. Now this is his first week at a new school with a new bus timetable and he's having to dash out of school. I mean, this must be quite worrying for you. Yeah, it kind of affects every afternoon really because I, I don't know whether or not I'm going to get a phone call from him and I've had quite a few phone calls saying I've missed the bus. Um, the only bus that there is back from St George's, as you say, leaves five minutes after the last bell goes. And given the, the size of the site, to get any child onto a bus over a busy road within five minutes is some is pretty tricky. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of anxiously waiting for a phone call, and the phone calls the last couple of days have been him saying, I've missed the only bus home. It's not even come to us because there are so many children on it from Roundwood that there's no space left for us. Well, this must, must be really frustrating because you pay for this service. How much do you pay? Um, we pay well over £300. I think it's about £365, which is the same amount as the other parents to other schools are paying um, from Flamstead, and we just feel, you know, we're being penalised because there aren't so many children attending St George's. Now, I'm also joined by Lee Hibbon, whose daughter, Sophie, goes to St George's and uses the same bus service. Lee, has Sophie had the same problems? Exactly the same, yeah. I don't think she's ever been able to catch the bus home because she hasn't been able to get out in time to make, to make it. Um, so it's either she's having to uh, catch another bus to Redbourne Village um, and in turn then change again. And the last thing we want is like our 11-year-old daughter hanging around somewhere where she doesn't know how to get home. Um, my wife's having to um, drop things at a drop of a hat to go and pick her up at the end of the day. And, you know, we're, we're paying for a service and we're just not getting it. The last two days, she has been stranded at school through no fault of her own. The buses were completely full. She couldn't get on it. It was the only bus. You've had to go and pick her up. Now, have you spoken to the bus company about this? What, what do they say? Yeah, they've said that um, it basically if, if the bus is full up from picking up from um, Roundwood children, then they won't, they won't be able to stop at St George's to pick them up because the buses are too crowded and it's against health and safety, so they're then stranded. 
And what about speaking to the school? Do you think that they would be quite happy to let your child out a few minutes early so that they could get across the busy road onto their bus on time? Well, again, I mean, that's, that's in the hands of the school, whether they're prepared to do that or not. But, you know, should they need to do that? Also, sorry, I don't think that their education should suffer in order for them to have to leave school early just so they make that one bus, Mm. you know. Well, there you are, Ian. We've got some pretty unhappy customers here in Flamstead. Now, I wonder if the kids would mind so much if they missed the uh, bus to school. <laughs> I think I think that would uh, would appeal to most of them. Jenna, thank you very much. We did get in touch with the Uno bus company yesterday uh, and told them about these complaints that we'd heard. Uh, it seems like they've listened. They've sent us this following statement. It's a bit long, so bear with me. Due to overloading problems on buses 646 and 647, two from Roundwood Park School, which means that the afternoon buses are unable to pick up at the St George's Sir John Law's schools, it will be necessary uh, for St George's and Sir John Law students to catch the bus 657 at the times indicated below in order to return. Basically, what this means is that the students from St George's now have 18 minutes between the end of their classes and their last bus home if they're going to Flamstead. However, to get to Flamstead, they'll have to get the 657, there's a lot of numbers here, bear with me, get the 657 to Ridgedown, get off there at 420 before changing onto the 647 at Library Lane. At 4.21, a one-minute window to change over. We haven't been given any indication as to when these changes will come into force yet either, which this might cause more problems. The statement from the Uno bus company goes on to say, discussions are currently underway with Hertfordshire County Council in order to revise bus 657 so as to operate from Redbourne to Flampstead to avoid the need to change buses in Redbourne. A, a lot of information there, a lot of numbers to take in at that time in the morning, don't worry. What are your experiences with buses? Good or bad? 08459. Four double five, five double five. I said this earlier, and this is absolutely true. I once saw a bus driver while he was driving my bus, rolling up a joint. He was making a drug cigarette, and all I could do was look amazed and say nothing. Oh wait, four five seven. Oh wait, four five nine. Sorry, four double five, five double five. Across beds, hearts, and barks. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, this morning we've heard about the most races won by a sheep and from the longest theatrical performer. Next, here from the most tattooed senior citizen. Why? Well, it's because they're our local entries in the latest edition of the world-famous Guinness World Records book. That's why. And buses. It's a bus special. Apparently you'll be treated better if you take the train. Len, who's blind, called me to share his experience on buses. I went flying over this bag, and if I hadn't been able to grab the bar at the side, I'd have gone headfirst through the window. Right. On telling the bus driver, she was very unsympathetic Mm. and said, oh, there's nothing there that's in your way. What's your experience on buses, good or bad? You can text me, 81333, start your text, 3CR, or email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. There are some excellent bus drivers, some excellent friendly bus drivers that will go just that little bit further. A lot of them are very grumpy, aren't they? And I wonder why that is. What can we do to make bus drivers happy? Give me a call. Tell me your uh, experience on buses, whether you're a passenger or a driver, 08459 455 555. But back to the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, Isabel Varley is in there. Good morning, Isabel. Good morning. Oh, you, now you don't sound the, the, the sort that's going to be in the, the, the Guinness Book of World Records. What's your world record? I'm the most tattooed woman in the world. <laughs> you, are, you are winding me up, love. Sorry? Are you, are you the most tattooed woman in the world? 
Well, I think so. Okay, there are a few questions I have to ask you here. Isabel, may I ask, what is your age, please? 70. 70 years old? Okay, so you're still quite young. Uh, I started in 1986. Oh. With two. I'm, I'm, I'm scared to ask where you got those two tattoos done. Well, I went over, um, I lived Steve Nidge, you know. Excuse me. <coughs> I meant on your body. I've got all my body done and my head done and my feet done and my arms done and my hands done and the and the face done. What was the first, oh, I love you. What was the first tattoo you had done? What I had a bird on my shoulder. Yeah. And I thought, that doesn't hurt. So yeah. then I said, do another one on the top of my leg, which is a flower. Cheeky, yes. <laughs> I went over hitching. Oh, yeah. To, to this guy. He's dead now. Oh, dear. Yeah. No, no connection. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Uh, and, and so you're, you're tattooed. Is your entire body covered? Is there anywhere, any more room for any more tattoos? No. Ev- um, everything's covered. I, can't, I haven't got the soles of my feet done. They don't do that because it's um, bony, you know? Yeah, so apart from the soles of your feet... Everywhere's ev- done except my, my face. Well, I've got stars on my face done and my ears done. <laughs> what was... Your, uh, you're wonderful. What was the last tattoo that you had done? My head. And what, what was it? What did you get on there? Oh, oh I'm not saying... So, sorry, is it rude? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got all my head done. you got something rude tattooed on your head? I've got my head all done, yeah. And yeah. um, w- w- when you say, w- let's tread carefully because there are young ears, but I'm fascinated. This could be the call that loses me this job a week into it. When you say it's something rude, is it a part of the anatomy? Yes. On your head? Yes. Ladies part or a man's? Okie dokie, ladies and gentlemen, Isabel Varley. Isabel, thank you so much. Wonderful. If you want to hear that call again, that's going to be uh, audio booed later on. Boy, oh boy. Isabel Varley, the most tattooed senior citizen in the world. And she comes from Beds, Hearts and Bucks, dear listener. <clears throat> Wonderful. I mean, we, we, we trod carefully enough there, I think, to just about make sure I turn up for tomorrow's show, at the very least. Kate Hudson is also a record breaker. Whereabouts are you from, Kate? I'm from Bedford, but I work for the NSPCC. Excellent. Well done, you. What is your world record? Well, I'm not sure I can follow the previous Oh, my God, I don't think anyone can. (laughs) I think we should all just pack up and go home now. Well, we at the NSPCC, we hold the Guinness World Record for holding the largest maths lesson Hang on a second. I thought the NSPCC (laughs) was supposed to help children, not torture them. It was a fundraising event. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> How many kids did you have in there? We had, um, well, they were spread in 30 schools all over the UK, and we had yeah. 4,076 oh. students. Oh, dear. And why did these, <laughs> why, why would the kids want to get involved? In, were they forced to take part in this? No, no, they had a choice. <laughs> uh, okay, what, what made you think that this would be a good idea, Kate? Well, every two years we hold a fundraising event called Number Day, which is a national schools fundraising event where we provide schools with lots of fun-based career curriculum maths activities like who wants to be a massionaire is one of our most popular yes um and because it was our 10 year anniversary we wanted to do something different so we'll thought let's break a guinness world record Brilliant. 
and one that was related to maths was the biggest maths lesson. What was the record before that? Can you remember? It was about 800 pupils. Yeah, you totally <laughs> smashed that one, Kate. You smashed it. <laughs> <laughs> and was it you, were you the teacher? Were you the one taking the lesson? No, I was the organiser. Okay. So I put together all the lesson plans at, at 11 o'clock on the same day. Yeah. They all had to teach the same 30-minute lesson, which had to be approved by Guinness World Records. Of course. The children had to take a little assessment. Um, they needed independent witnesses. So they were, it wasn't 4,000 children in one hall or something? Because no. I'd imagine that would be a discipline <laughs> nightmare. No, 30 schools across the UK. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kate, I'm sorry. I'll tell you why I'm freezing there. It's because I've just been... <laughs> I've just been given a picture of uh, Isabel, who we just spoke to, the most tattooed... <laughs> And I can, I <laughs> I'm glad I can't see it. <laughs> when, let me just say, uh, Kate, when she said she was tattooed everywhere, she's tattooed <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yes, even there. Uh, Kate, listen, fantastic. And when did you break your record? When did, when did you set uh, it? Well, it was December 2010, but we're actually attempting a different Guinness World oh, Record go on. next month. Go on, what is it? Well, it's Childline's 25th birthday, yep. Childline is service at the NSPC, and we're trying to break the Guinness World Record for the most greetings on a birthday card. Wow. We have a five-foot birthday card, and if schools go to the NSPC website, it's called Big Birthday, and they can take part. Fantastic. Well, Kate, best of luck with that. Super <laughs> uh, I can see uh, there are tattoos everywhere, and I can see the, the rude one she means. It's only tiny. It's only tiny, the one on her head. She, how old was she? 70 odd. She's like, you know. Uh, Craig Glanday is editor in chief of Guinness World Records. Good morning, Craig. Hi, good morning. Have you seen this picture of Isabel Varley? Oh, yeah, I've seen many <laughs> pictures of her, yeah. <laughs> it's just tricky putting it in the book because we obviously know it's a family-friendly book and we've got to be really careful what we... Uh, you can't show she's, that. She's got quite a few of what you're thinking about all over the place. Yeah, you can't, you can't show that. Uh, Craig, uh, it must be one of the, the best jobs in the world, isn't it? Being editor-in-chief of Guinness World Records. What fun. Yeah, I know. I always say I've got the best job in the world, sort of officially. So it is just... We get to meet the most fantastic and amazing people. Like, Isabel, we just... We know how Hundreds and hundreds of Isabels. <laughs> I thought there was a... Uh, that's a terrifying thought. I thought that, that, that about ten years ago, Guinness said, you know what, we're not doing any more silly world records. We only want sensible ones. Did that happen, or did I dream that? No, I think you dreamed that. We, Excellent. We, we like the variety on offer. You know, but we, we have, obviously, we've got the very serious things. People are rowing oceans and still climbing dangerous mountains and doing really worthy things. But also, it's record holdings about having fun and yeah. just setting yourself challenges and doing sometimes crazy things. Why do people want to break world records? Because it... it it's hard work, isn't it? None of this stuff's easy. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of these bucket list things. People just want to, you know, before they die, get their name in the in print and be famous. And But it's, I think it's something that's fundamental to the human race. Mm. We want to be pushing ourselves and um, bettering ourselves and evolving and, you know. What's your favourite record in the book this year, Craig? Oh, dear. I've got so many. Like, I know, it's an impossible question. Um, and I I, I I saw yesterday and met for the first time Joanna Quas, who's the world's oldest competitive gymnast. Uh, and she's she's um, in her in her eighties um, now and doing amazing things. She was doing parallel bar jumps. Oh. She was um, throwing herself cartwheeling round. She was just amazing and proof that you can do anything at any age. Gymnastics makes me uncomfortable at the best of times. I'm always worried that someone's going to snap something. And <laughs> watching an eighty odd year old fling herself around on the parallel bars would make me so uncomfortable. Is the is the the physical Guinness book? 
still popular? Because in this world of, of online, I, I remember being 12, 13 years old, and the Guinness Book of World Records was the thing to read, and boys would pore over it and study it and look at it and go, I can do that, I'm going to beat that, that's amazing. Is the book still popular? Oh, it's still huge. I mean, it's still a Christmas bestseller all around the world. Really? I mean, 100, over 100 countries, but th- 25 languages this year. Um, it's just there's a sort of endless appetite for it, which is great. And, and you, the Guinness are very strict as well. Supposing I was going to break a world record, but, but what, what would I have to do in terms of getting in touch with you and being monitored? Um, yeah, we get about 50,000 claims a year, so you'd have to join that list, unfortunately. Oh, but it's free and open to everyone, so go to guinnessworldrecords.com and you'll see a button that says break a record. We give you rules and guidelines to follow to make sure you're doing it properly. And um, and to be honest, most people get rejected because it's just sometimes too daft or mm. too dangerous or just not good enough. So, um, But the, the, this year we've got about 3,000 new entries, which means you know the, they all get into the book, which is fantastic. And a lot of them, I mean, it's not uniquely British, but a lot of them are British, and I guess that kind of it appeals to the slightly eccentric nature of a lot of people here. Yeah, exactly, and, and you know, I think it comes from almost like a Victorian spirit of yeah. going out and investigating and studying and being a bit scientific about it, but also being a wee bit bonkers. And getting tattoos of willies on your head. <laughs> uh, Craig, listen, I, I think I could just about get away with that. Craig Landy, lovely to talk to you. He's the editor-in-chief of the Guinness uh, World Records, and it really, uh, it, it's one of my favourite books. I think it's a cracking read, and I'm, I'm so pleased that it's going strong and that we have so many people from Beds, Hearts and Bucks uh, getting world records in there. We may talk to a few more a little bit later on. I would say that we would post this picture of uh, Isabel Valley, the world's most tattooed senior citizen, uh, online. We're probably not allowed to as it is a little bit uh, fruity. Uh, 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. We're looking for your calls this morning uh, about buses, your experiences with buses. Are they generally quite good ones? Or I do find that some bus drivers do have a little bit of an attitude. Not all of them. I don't want to tie you all with the same brush, but, but some of them... Do we're also uh, we've got a text here from Lucy in Sundon Park about uh, buses. Ian, I haven't been on a bus since I was sixteen. Have they improved since the eighties? And should I try them again? Lucy, do have a go. I love travelling on the bus. You, you get to see so much more than if you're just driving, and you get to see some real fruitcakes as well, which is good. Uh, we're asking about brushing your teeth. Oh, I've forgotten this. A dentist is coming in in about an hour or so to have a look at my teeth live on air. Seemed like a good idea when I said, hey, why don't we get a dentist in to look at me? But now I'm a bit nervous. Phil has texted in, brush twice daily and floss once. Uh, oh, can we have an update on getting your baby to sleep? Oh, yes, I mentioned this on Monday. We were trying the controlled crying with my little boy, my baby. It worked. We've had two nights of him sleeping straight through, and last night my wife put him to bed, lay him down, he went straight to sleep. It worked. Thank you very much. Biggers and Hemel says, I have, I'm 45 with no fillings and I only brush my teeth once in the morning. has got a lovely set of gnashes. There you go. 7.45, it's Thursday the 13th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police in Luton say the hit-and-run murder of a teenage cyclist on Vincent Road last week was probably the result of a feud between two families. Families of Liverpool supporters who died in the Hillsborough disaster say they will now press for criminal action after yesterday's damning report on the events 23 years ago. In sport, England's cricketers have ended the summer on a high, beating South Africa by 28 runs in the third and final 2020 international to level the series at one all. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks, we are set for a fine and dry day. A bit warmer than yesterday with a top temperature of 19 degrees. Coming up, pupils at St George's School in Harpenden have only been given five minutes 
minutes to get from their classrooms to the bus stops to catch the last bus back to Flamstead, meaning many children are regularly missing the bus home. We'll be speaking to the head teacher of the school after eight. BBC Three Counties Radio. Jonathan will be in in about half an hour. Boy, have I got something to show him when he comes in. Have I got something that's going to make his day? We're asking for your stories about buses. 08459 455 555. You can, of course, text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Stories good and bad. Uh, Shirley's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Ian. Give us your story about buses. Well, we have a, a bus. We get about one an hour for only part of the day for where I live. Oh, dear. That's not brilliant, is it? Well, it, it's, it's okay for most of us that use it. And the driver knows us all by name, and he's a regular driver. And he knew that I was going into hospital in January for some surgery. And after I'd come home, I'd been home a couple of weeks, and, I, the, you know, somebody knocked the door, and when I looked, it was the bus driver. He'd parked his bus at the bottom of the road. <laughs> well, and he came on, running up to knock on the door to see how I was. Well, isn't that nice? And I thought that was absolutely wonderful. Above and beyond. What a nice man. Yes, he's a very nice man. He knows all us that use this particular bus. He knows us all by name. And he he knows where everybody needs to get on or off the bus. Oh, Shirley, that's lovely. I'm glad you called in because we have been knocking buses a little bit. And there's an example of someone just going above and beyond a little bit. The bus driver knew she was having an operation. Parked his bus at the end of her road, run out, knocked on the door. You're right, love. Wonderful. We need more people like that. Not necessarily just bus drivers. We need more people like that. Fantastic. Well, that's, that's brilliant. 08459 455 555. Now, 11 villages across Buckinghamshire are taking action to try and get motorists to slow down. The hope is community speedwatch groups will be set up to give local people the chance to track the speed of the traffic, and the information is then passed on to the police. Our reporter, Jessica Cooper, has been finding out about plans to set up a group in Pitstone and spoke to Nigel Spencer, who's a road safety officer with Buckinghamshire County Council. Nigel, we are stood in the centre of Pitstone um, as cars go by, and straight in front of us here is the um, speed tracking device. So just explain for us what this looks like and what it does. Okay, it's a small kind of briefcase sized black box called a speed detection radar and it emits a invisible beam across the road and when vehicles go past it, it uh, puts their vehicle speed on a handheld Palm Pilot which I'm holding nearby there. So we've got a white van coming past now, how fast that's? Yeah, I just did 24 miles an hour. Um, our physical presence here the tripod, the box, our yellow tabards. There's also two speed watch signs either side of what we're doing. Has a road safety effect anyway, and vehicles do generally slow down, and, and that's the idea. We would like to educate drivers to slow down in the local communities. It's not just about people getting a, a warning letter from the police. Why aren't the police here doing the same thing? Why is it that local people are, are taking this into their own hands? Resources of the police are are limited and this is a a device that enables the local community to actually actively do something themselves. So they can borrow this equipment, they can come out here and they can monitor speeds and they can gather evidence to send on to the Thames Valley Police who will then send warning out to the speeding drivers that they were caught and it's a Thames Valley wide initiative so the database covers anywhere in the Thames Valley. If they record three occasions where they've been seen speeding they will have a knock on the door from a local police officer 
questioning their driving behaviour. They zoom past. My son is eight months old and we like to sit in the window and watch the cars and the lorries go by and we, we do notice that they zoom past really, really quickly. I don't feel as if the speed ramps have made an awful lot of difference and people still just go over them at great speed, if not faster than they might have done before. Here we go. Um, we got Ben Blunt on the line now, who is the vice chair of Pitstone. Oh, we don't have Ben Blunt on the line. Oh, we have uh, Netta Glover. I have the wrong information in front of me. Let's go over to uh, Netta. Good morning, Netta. Good morning. I do apologise. I was looking at the wrong bit of paper uh, because I am what I like to call an idiot. So tell us a little bit more <laughs> it's about nice being an idiot. It, it, it is nice to be an idiot, and it, which makes things a lot easier for me. Now, Netta Glover is chairman of the local area forum and a member of its speed awareness group. How does this work, Netta? Well, it works, first of all, by the, the community getting together and saying that they would like it. And then you, you, the county has bought all these uh, MVAS signs. Um, then you know, we put them up and we get volunteers to come out and we watch people speeding by. Um, one of the ones that we did in Stukeley was very interesting. Uh, we, we did two, two sites and on both of them, people came out of the houses and said, I'd like to volunteer. So we got a lovely team out of Stukeley. So we were very, very pleased with that. So it's interesting you say that, because I was wondering, would people, would people really be bothered to come out? And, and how long are they, kind of, are they standing out there for? Well, you can stand there for about an hour, you know, as long as you like. Because, um, you know, you're not on your own. Actually, no. I have done it myself a couple of times, and it's quite companionable in a way. I would, I would quite like it, because I'm nosy. And yes. I, I, I do like watching things happen and just keeping an eye on, on things. So I guess that might help a little bit, mightn't it? Yes, yes. Don't people just slow down when they see a ca- someone holding a, a speed camera and wearing a, a fluorescent ja- uh, jacket? Yes, yes, we watched them in Stukeley. They did slow down um, and, and, and looked slightly guilty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is it going to have a lasting effect, this? Well, I think if we can keep the momentum going with the volunteers... I think it will, because, you know, one of my points about people asking for speed limits is it's all very well imposing a speed limit, but it's driver behaviour you need to educate. Mm. And I think in doing this, we, we are educating people. You know, th- this is a village here. You, you mustn't speed. You, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen. Somebody could just jump out into the road, a child or something, and then you'd feel sorry for the rest of your life. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, it's, we're, we're laughing slightly, but you're right. It, it is a very serious, potentially a very serious uh, issue. Yeah. Uh, which villages need more volunteers? I'm not sure yet, because I, I'm not sure how many we've got in wing. Uh, right. we're, we're doing ours uh, today, but unfortunately I can't be there, because I'm sitting on an all-day appeal against um, a dismissal thing. Oh, OK. So, uh, regretfully, I, I, I'd much rather be on the speed limit than doing Netta, that. what an exciting life you're leading. You're well, all over the place. I spent all day yesterday doing it. Oh. But, um, and and, and uh, anybody can volunteer? They can, anyone, anyone can come can and take part? Yes, as long as they, they uh, will submit the training so that they know we've got it because you've got to know what you're doing how of to course. handle the equipment yes uh, yes anyone can be a volunteer netta i wish you the very best of luck with it thanks very much for coming on okay then that's netta glover who's the chairman of the local area foreman and a uh, forum and a member of its speed awareness group and what i was trying to say earlier on of course that it was ben blunt the vice chair of uh, pitstone parish council that was uh, at the end of that report if you have a quick look at the front page of the papers i don't think we've done that yet this morning uh, that there it's one of those days and we've had a few of these days recently 
where all the front pages have got the same story. And I don't always think that they should be doing that, but today, yeah, they probably should. It's, it's all Hillsborough, isn't it? And rightfully so. Uh, the Guardian, Hillsborough, The Reckoning. Police cover up. I mean, this is incredible that your police and your government and your ambulance service lied and covered things up. I find it incredible. I'm so naive. I'm one of these, these, these people that kind of, uh, that, that thinks that generally the police and the government, and, and particularly the ambulance service, you know, are good. And they generally are, but you hear something like this and it's just incredible. Police cover up exposed, uh, PM profoundly sorry, uh, and new inquest is expected. The Daily Telegraph, ah, well, the Telegraph, interestingly, is the only, it, it hasn't got anything about it on the front page. Isn't that interesting? They've got something in the sports section. Instead, they've got um, the Duchess of Cambridge flexing her muscles. Churches need gay marriage safeguards and hospital wards on the brink of collapse. They don't mention Hillsborough. Isn't that interesting? The Independent. Uh, Hillsborough, at long last, the truth. Uh, now it's time for justice. 23 years after 96 people died in the worst football tragedy in British history, an inquiry is exposed what many suspected a cover-up. I mean, it is just uh, I- incredible. The, uh, the Times, vindication for Hillsborough families after 23-year struggle. And uh, all of these papers have just got amazing photographs of the day. The Daily Express, another one that doesn't... Um, uh, lead on this. Migrants blamed... Uh, migrants, of course. Migrants blamed for surging crime. 33 arrested every day by just one uh, force and wills. Kate and I want two babies. Do you? Oh, that's nice. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, and the others, the Daily Mirror, the truth. 41 lives could have been saved. Tory MP and cops led cover-up. 164 police statements doctored. Uh, the Daily Mail. Finally, the Hillsborough families know the truth. The police lied and lied. Now will they get justice? And there are uh, photographs of the 96 uh, victims on their front page. And the Sun. 23 years after Hillsborough. The real truth. Cops smeared Liverpool fans to deflect blame. 41 lives could have been saved. The Sun. We are profoundly sorry for false reports. The, the, the Sun sells hardly any newspapers in Liverpool 23 years later. It sells hardly any. If you're seen carrying the Sun in Liverpool, you know, people have been had abuse shouted at them because of that story 23 years ago. And, and many would say rightfully so. We are asking uh, for your uh, stories about buses, uh, 08459 455 555. I've had so many incidences where the bus is at the bus stop, but they have shut the doors. And even though they've not moved... You tap on the door, and the bus drivers, they have this annoying thing, don't they? They don't even look at you and go, oh, I'm sorry, mate. They look straight ahead and pretend they can't hear you. Oh, yeah, thanks, guys. Well, I know where the emergency button is to open that door from the outside, so don't do that. So annoying. Helen in Milton Keynes says, um, I use buses regularly in Milton Keynes. After 6pm service is one each hour on my route. Bad if you want to go somewhere. The bus driver on Tuesday was so bored, he decided to entertain us with a selection of songs and how many days to Christmas. Very funny. Uh, Lynn says, I know this does not help with overcrowding, but at Manshead Upper, pupils leave classes 10 to 15 minutes early if they use the buses. They can't be doing that, for goodness sakes. You can't leave school early to get the bus. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Buses and teeth. Someone's going to come in and check my teeth on air. I'm not sure I'm happy about this. We'll do that after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle.
morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee. It's BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past eight on Thursday, the 13th of September. I know, incredible. Our top story today, police in Luton believe the murder of teenager Delaney Brown a week ago was a result of a dispute between two families. Hear more about that later on in this hour. And today it's a bus special. We're talking buses. Apparently, you'll be treated better if you take the train. And also we'll hear from more about the school children in Hertfordshire who've been left stranded by their bus service. What are your bus experiences? We've had some pretty bad ones. We've had a really nice one as well. Lady had an operation. Didn't get on her regular bus route for a couple of weeks. The driver parked the bus up the end of her street, knocked on her door. You are right, love? Fantastic. But what's your experience with buses? 08459 455 555. If you're a bus driver as well, I'd like to hear from you. What's your experience with us passengers? I bet you get some right stick sometimes. 81333 3CR is the text. Or you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. BBC Three Counties Radio. Esther is in Luton. Good morning, Esther. Hello. Esther, what's your story about buses? Right, well, my dad went up to Kimbolton via, um, from Dunstable yesterday. Okay. Um, my sister lives about 20 minutes away. I work 20 minutes away from my sister, so it's up in between. Yeah. And he, it's supposed to take three hours to get there, but it took six. How come? I don't know. He said tra- um, traffic stops and all oh. that. Bearing in mind he's 73. Yeah. Well, if, it, it, if there was traffic, you can't blame that on the bus, though, can you? No, but he said the, the journey was absolutely delightful. Oh, <laughs> he enjoyed it, did he? He loved it, and it's, it's a day out for him. Oh, bless him. But what him. happened um, afterwards, my sister rang me and said, look, can you take him home after because you're down the road? Yeah. So she dropped him down about five o'clock, and I took him home. Oh, well, that's a nice cheap day out then. Just plonk him on a bus for a few hours. Yeah, there, yeah, dinner, there is <laughs> there is something about being on a bus that you kind of you get to see a bit of the world. You get to see th- if you, especially if you sit on the top deck, you get to yeah. see things from all different kinds of angles. Well, he loves it. Well, there you go. You know what to buy him for Christmas, then, don't you? A bus. Esther, thank you very much for that. Uh, two things I've just remembered that really annoy me about buses. When you get on the bus, okay, and someone gets on with some fried chicken. Oh, in a in a bus. In a bus, really? Fried chicken? Are you sure you want to do that? We might do a thing next week about um, food etiquette, because I'm finding that, that myself, apparently I have some very weird rules about food. I think it's rude to eat an orange. Yeah, I know. I do think it's rude to eat an orange, because they're messy, they spray everywhere, and they stink. But that's, that's maybe for, uh, for one day next week. But so if someone gets on eating fried chicken or stinky food on a bus... Uh, Really? And also the thing that buses do, when they stop at a bus stop for three or four minutes to regulate the service. Just just, just move, come on, don't... And other buses are going past you, and you're thinking, well, should I get off? Should I get the bus that's behind me? What are your stories with buses? 08459 455 555. We're talking world records as well this morning, and there's things like this always excite me they bring out the 12 year old in me because this isn't it wonderful to be the best the fastest the slowest the biggest the most tattooed in the world well the new guinness world records book is out today and beds hearts and bucks are very well represented in it. it's got a terry grant morning terry morning how you doing yeah, i'm all right terry whereabouts are you from yeah i'm from uh Nebworth in superb Hartford. what is your world record sir 
Um, well, I hold many, but the one that they've put in the book um, this year, I believe, although I haven't seen the book as yet, I believe it's um, the fastest time to change a wheel on a spinning car. Now, what do you mean? What do you mean a spinning car? Well, have you ever seen a car do donuts when it celebrates at the end of a race? Yes, it goes round and round in a circle. There you go. So that's what? it. Getting the car doing donuts, and what? then I yeah. Hang on a exactly. second. You've made that up. That's not even possible to change the wheel while it's doing a donut. Yeah, check out YouTube. You'll see. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very, very real. I'm yeah, totally checking. So, how explain the technique to me of of changing a wheel on a, on a donutting car? Well, so I get the car obviously doing some donuts. Are you, you're not driving it though, are you? Someone else is driving. I am driving. No, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm a professional stunt driver, and, oh, I and like this you. is this is what my job is. I yep. do this all over the world. Okay. So, it's uh, one of my signature tricks. So yeah. then I climb out, leaving the car. Oh well, I have the throttle held open. Goodness. Climb out, jack the front of the car up um, with, a, with a specially adapted jack. And I'm uh, sorry, are you... Uh, and I will YouTube this later on. Are you yeah. now on the road when you're doing this? Are you on the bonnet of the car? Are you leaning out of the door? Where are I'm you? I'm hanging... Yeah, I'm hanging off the side. You're so my yeah, new I'm hero. I'm literally hanging off the side of it. I and, want you to be my dad. You're down. brilliant. OK, go on. Yeah, that's what my kids say. <laughs> <laughs> so you're leaning out the side of the car, you jack up the car while it's doing a donut. While it's doing a donut, actually unbolt the, the four wheel nuts. <laughs> yes. Pull the wheel off. Oh, man. With my left hand, which is the hardest bit, believe it or not, because yep. if you've ever tried to pick up a full size aluminium wheel with a tyre on it, yep. it's really, really heavy. So there's a technique to it. Yep. So I take it off with my left hand, throw it away from the car. Then jump off the car, go and pick up the spare wheel, jump back on the car, put it back on the wheel bolts, put the nuts on, tighten it up, lower it down and carry on doing the show. I I love you. How long does that take you to do? It takes, it's around, just under three minutes down to now, um, which was a record. I went over to Guinness's studios in Italy and Rome. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Rome, Italy. Rome, Italy. And, yep. And, uh, and done it in front of a live audience in their studio. Oh. So it was a record that I previously held myself, and we just nicked it a bit by a few seconds. I'm totally YouTubing that after the show. And kids, of course, if you want to try this at home on Dad's car, don't! I just have to no, say that. No, <laughs> I know yeah. what I want to say, but now I work for BBC, Terry, I have to say, don't try that for yeah. kids. Try it on Terry's car. Terry, listen, congratulations on, on that. That just sounds ridiculous and wonderful. Of course, don't try that at home. You don't need me to tell you that, but I'm probably legally bound to tell you that, so don't. Terry Grant, world record breaker there. 08459 455 555. This morning, I've been asking for your good or, or, or bad bus experiences, and you've been calling in, and you've still got plenty of time to call in with that. One of the reasons we're talking about it is because school children in Hertfordshire are finding themselves stranded outside their school after classes because of a change to bus scheduling. Pupils at St George's School in Harpenden have only been given five minutes to get from their classrooms to the bus stop to catch the last bus back to Flamstead. Parents are naturally worried at the thought of their children, some as young as 11 years old, being left at the side of the road with no way to get home. Well, Uno Buses Limited have sent us a statement saying they'll be changing their schedule so that the kids will now have 18 minutes to get from their class to their bus stop. But is this enough when parents are paying around £360 per year for these tickets? Norman Hall is the head teacher at St George's School in Harpenton. He joins me now. Good morning, Norman. Good morning, Ian. Have you heard complaints from parents about this problem? Um, yes, 
yes, we've, we've had a few filtering through, but um, because my staff are always vigilant on duty after school, we picked up the concerns about the children um, some time ago. And ha- does the school have any input into the, when the buses go? Well, we are now, um, as a result of this difficulty. Uh, yesterday evening, I was actually speaking with someone pretty senior from you know, buses, and we discussed the timing, and I'm absolutely delighted that the statement they've given you this morning mm. confirms the, uh, my conversation last night. 18 minutes um, after school finishes here at 3.40 is sufficient time for my youngsters to get out... Um, across the road to catch this bus. And Norman, do you think that that, that 18 minutes is enough? What if, what if um, I'm assuming that you might have some after-school activities? Ah. How did, would that be affected? Well, of course, of course that, that is not enough for an after-school activity because my staff are generous with their time. They will be here till 5 o'clock. And ideally, what we'd like to see is, is a later bus at about 5 o'clock. But of course, I understand the, the, eco- the economics of, of, of bus contracts because, funny enough, heads get involved in bus contracts. Right. And I've got about 25 students who come in from the Flamstead area and there may be issues with the contractor providing a bus that late. I would love them to because those children uh, can't take part in the magnificent range of extra activities that we provide. The key thing is, however, that the anxiety that they have been feeling since term began about a bus leaving so quickly Mm. and not being able to get home properly after that, i.e. having to phone mum, etc., or dad, um, has now been removed. And that's important because what you don't want are children, particularly the younger ones, anxious in their last lesson. So that anxiety prevents them from learning and taking advantage of the learning opportunities in the last lesson of the day. Have Uno buses given you any idea when this timetable change is going to take effect? Uh, No, they haven't, because as I say, quite frankly, I only talked to one of their senior managers last night who, uh, bless him, was actually here at the school because they were looking into it and came up and spoke to me because he knew I'd been on to them and we had a very profitable discussion and, of course, the parents had been on to them. So I'm, I'm very much hope, hope, hoping within the next couple of days uh, everything's going to be sorted and the anxiety that the children have felt and the concern that the parents are, are experiencing uh, will not be necessary any longer. Norman Hoare, lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on. Not at all. There we go. Norman Hoare is the head teacher at St George's School in Harpenden. We'll keep an eye on that to see that uh, Una buses... We'll just see how long it takes them to change the schedule. Uh, five minutes isn't enough. Is 18 minutes enough? It's a shame that they miss out on some of the after-school activities. It sounds like they've got some cracking stuff there. Um, uh, Dr Kieran O'Keefe has... Uh, doctors listen to this show. Mm. Uh, has texted in. Buses. I always use them when I can. They're cheap, reliable, though they can be late. Just means planning journey better. And generally have a community feel, meaning people generally friendlier on buses than underground. One criticism, hit and miss. Oh, this is true. Hit and miss whether the bus is a sauna or a fridge. It does vary. And I always find if I sit at the back of the bus on the ground floor, I have to, uh, you sit on the engine. It makes me feel a bit ill. Oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. 08459 455. 555. It's 8.15. It's Thursday the 13th of September. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police in Luton are still looking for the people responsible for the hit-and-run murder of a teenage cyclist on Vincent Road last week. 
The former Home Secretary, Jack Straw, has said he greatly regrets the failings of a judicial inquiry he ordered into the Hillsborough disaster when Labour came to power in 1997. In sport, England fly out to the World T20 in Sri Lanka later today, ahead of the start of the tournament next Tuesday. We'll have weather in a few minutes with Chris Bell, and coming up after 8.30, a protest meeting was held in Hitchin last night over plans to expand a junior school. We'll be speaking to Robin Dartington, the man who called the meeting. BBC Three Counties Radio. What are you doing? I, these headphones don't work. Well, do, <laughs> yeah. Jonathan <laughs> Vernon Smith has joined me in the studio, looking much smarter than he did yesterday. Well done. I'm glad it was Thanks noted. Right, okay. And then you're sitting there just twitching your head back and forth like you're having some kind of seizure. Are you all right? I'm all, I, they, they, they keep going off. <laughs> you're like Max Headroom. What's, there, hang on, there, there we go. I've got him. Uh, morning. Morning. I've got something to show you. Before you tell me what's coming on your show, we've been... World Records. Ah. We have, it's, it's, the Guinness Book of World Records comes out today. It's always a cracking read. And we've had some fantastic uh, local uh, heroes. I know. Right? I've heard them. Uh, including... Um, uh, Is- Isabel? Isabel Is a picture Valley. of Isabel you're going to show me? Yes, I am. The world's most tattooed senior citizen. That's who I was speaking to this morning. Oh. <laughs> 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 she's had more done. I saw a picture of Isabel a few years ago, and she's had she's topped them up. <laughs> Hasn't oh, yes, she? I suspect that, that that's not the body of a seventy-year-old there. But look, she's got, she's got them everywhere. Look, look at her. Yes, and she has got a doodah on the on oh, her head. Oh my word! <laughs> <laughs> now listen, you strike me as the sort that might have a cheeky little tat somewhere about your person. What? You strike me as the sort, because you seem all, all prim and proper, but I bet you've got a very dark side. <laughs> no, I haven't. I, have, I haven't got any tattoos. I think they're very common. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so do I. No, they are. I'm afraid if you've got a tattoo, you're a little bit common in my eyes. Rather like the bigger your TV, the more common you are. I heard you come out of this theory the other day. I've got yeah. a 42 inch. Me one. too. Is that how. What's that? Common. Really? Common naff. Oh dear. Common. Oh dear. Yes, I was horrified when I bought it for myself. <laughs> and I feel as if I let myself and my family down. But you are. Uh, you, you are a little bit common, I think, underneath this posh veneer. Really? Oh. Uh, anyway, coming up on the, uh... God, on you're, you're actually wounded by that. I do apologise. <laughs> what's, what's on the Jonathan Vernon Smith show this morning? Well, I've been picking up on something you've been talking about this as, morning. As you often do. And I'm rather horrified. Yes. I'm asking, do you have to brush twice a day... No. ...to have good teeth? No, you don't. One in five people in the three counties go for two days without brushing their teeth. I'm looking at one now. No, that, I brush my... I do brush... I brush my teeth once a day. No fillings. That's the result from new research published by the Simply Health Advisory Research Panel. And this lack of brushing appears to be starting young. A report out earlier this month said 2% of parents have children who never brush their teeth, while 24% have youngsters who use a toothbrush just once a day. That's shocking. Well, oh, hang on. No, it's not. I agree with that. Well, yes. from nine this morning, I'm going to be asking, do you have to brush twice a day to have good teeth? People who don't brush twice a day... Are they, well, frankly, disgusting? Or do you think it's perfectly... Look at me. It's perfectly possible to have good teeth and only brush perhaps once a day, perhaps once every other day. 08459 455555. You, you're on television as well. You I'm, don't look after your teeth. I have a good brush before I go on the telly. I have no fillings. I'm 39 years old. I have no fillings. Once a day has worked for me. Although we had a dentist on who said if you only brush your teeth once a day, it can lead to strokes and dementia. Yes. Well, from nine this morning, do you have to brush twice a day to have good teeth? I want to hear if people are like you and whether they have good teeth, even though they 
neglect their teeth or whether and, and do you know what i wonder whether there's anyone yes. listening who says do you know what? i brush my teeth five times a day and they're all falling out yeah they're terrible i bet there are yeah i want your views on the big phone in this morning oh eight four five nine four double five five double five and that really is a very big phone in this morning jonathan thank you very <laughs> much for coming in have a good show see you later on okay uh, jonathan Werner smith on at nine o'clock it's always it's always worth a listening it's, it's one of my favorite shows on the radio at the moment <laughs> This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, police in Luton say they are still looking for the main offender in the murder of Delaney Brown, who was deliberately knocked off his bicycle by a stolen car. It's thought that 19-year-old Delaney was killed on Vincent Road as a result of a feud between two sets of families in Lucy Farm and Marsh Farm. One person has been arrested and bailed on suspicion of murder, but police believe there were others in the Silver One series BMW. Lenos Wilson runs the Non-Violence Alliance as an independent advisor to Bedfordshire Police on issues around gang mediation, domestic violence and rival faction uh, disputes. He joins me on the line now. Good morning, Lenos. Good morning. The police are insisting this is not a gangland killing, but a dispute between two families. I don't want to talk about this case specifically, but is this type of thing that you've helped the police in the past mediate? Yeah, I do this sort of work, yeah. Yeah, I mediate between um, rival families or rival gangs disputes and that between neighbours and stuff, yeah. Can I ask, how did you get into that kind of work? Um, about, say, five, about four or five years ago, there was a shooting in, in Lucy Farm Park. Um, Richard Long was, was killed. Um, um, and this is when I started it, um, to tell you the truth. Nobody mm. was actually doing nothing about it. Um, I noticed, so I tried to go around the councils, community organisations, the police, and and stuff, trying to find help towards and, this stuff. Basically. And are the police open to you? Are they do they listen to what you have to say in your suggestions? I'm going to say recently, then definitely yes. I mean, over the last few months, I mean, since last year's riots, then for definite. Mm. I mean, before that, then maybe. Maybe they thought it, it was a hype, or maybe some people are trying to deny, like, postcode wars or gangs and and stuff like that. But, I mean, obviously, since the last year's riots, I mean, I'm glad to say people have taken me more seriously now. Lennox, there may be some people listening who are un- unaware of the term postcode war. Can, what does that mean, exactly? Um, it's people who live in different areas and stuff, and you... Um, Basically, I mean, when they see strangers, or mainly the the youth, obviously, when they find young people going into different areas and they don't know them, sometimes, unfortunately, they they attack them and run them out of the area. As someone who works with communities in Luton, what type of things cause these family feuds in particular? Uh, lots of different, lots of different reasons. Yeah. But um, I think mainly the pressures are, like I said, the economics of things. Really, mm. uh, money, money, money seems to be a big problem for everybody. Really, I mean, everybody's hungry. Everybody's trying to eat. So maybe people are getting a bit greedy, trying to take from one another, and and this is causing the disputes. Maybe. And how does it work? How does your role when you cooperate with the police? How does that work? What exactly do you do? Um, I, I sometimes give them advice. I sometimes um, try and um, bridge the barriers between the hard-to-reach ones and the police themselves. Um, I sometimes talk to 
the offenders um, and see if I can obviously talk, talk them around. Maybe sometimes if they are wanted fugitives, they, I'm trying to talk them to hand themselves in. Um, in many different ways, to the truth, I, I try and help and advise. And, and finally, uh, Lenos, is Luton getting worse? Uh, to me, Luton's, Luton's always been like this. It's just getting darker, I would say. You know, it's just becoming more... People are becoming more aware of the situation, what's going on, because it's always been happening in, mm. in my eyes. You know, it's just people are becoming more aware. Lenos, uh, thank you very much. That's Lenos Wilson. He runs the Non-Violence Alliance, which is an independent advisor to Bedfordshire Police. It's always weird doing this job, isn't it? You you, you do a, a very serious, and it is a serious issue, and then you move on to something flippant. And there's no there's no easy way of doing it. So I'm just going to say, our next caller is Tony Milton Keynes, who wants to talk about budgies. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, there's, Tony. There, there's no d- d- sensitive way to make that transition, so I might as well just jump clumsily <laughs> from one subject to the next. What, what, what do you want to say about budgies, Tony? I wasn't mentioning budgies, was I? Um, no, I just thought maybe you could help me. I'm sure I can. Um, the problem is I've, I've, I'm a pensioner. I've always, I've always had birds. Hello. Oh, you mean I, budgies. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. And, um... The one I had just just died. Oh, dear, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, so I'd like to get another one, um, preferably a young one that I can sort of tame from sort of when it's young. So Tony is a pensioner in Milton Keynes who's looking for a young bird he can tame. <laughs> just making sure I'm getting this ad right. That's right, yeah, yes. it sounds a bit older. And um, if there's anybody in the Bletchley area, maybe if they could give me a ring. What, and give you a budgie? No, I can pick one up. Uh, yeah. H- how much is a budgie these days? 25p? Uh, Oh, well, no, no, you're talking about £20 or something like 20 that. 20 quid for a budgie? Yeah, yeah. You're joking! Hand tame, one's 25. Ooh, well, there you go. Okay, well, but, Tony, what do you get from budgies? Because I just like them. I think they're sort of fascinating. But you can't do anything with them. You can't stroke them. Oh, you, you can, you can. If you get a hand tame one. Really? Yeah, you can bring them out and put them on your finger. But they're dirty and annoying and smelly no, and no, noisy. It depends on what you like, really. We had you had a, say that about a dog or a cat uh, or anything, wouldn't you? Really? It's true. We had uh, Jez uh, in High Wickham on yesterday. He's got 15 budgies in his living room. Oh, right. In his living room? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> you disapprove of that, do you? No, one's enough. Not in the living I wouldn't have them all in the living room. If you're going to have them, you have them in the aviary or something. Yeah, that's what I thought. Jez yeah. did sound a little bit odd. Yeah. Uh, so, Tony, just remind us where exactly you are. I'm at, uh, in Milton Keynes. Right. Um, in Bletchley. Yeah. And if anybody's listening in the Bletchley area... Maybe give me a ring. Well, l- listen, uh, Tony, keep listening. And maybe uh, you're listening and you can help out there. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you can sell Tony a <laughs> budgie. Yeah. You're listening to BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. <laughs> Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm guessing, I'm guessing Catherine didn't get time to fit that budgie story in that bulletin, but I'm sure we'll hear more about it from nine o'clock. Good morning, it's 8.32. It's Thursday the 13th of September. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the last half an hour before Jonathan Vernon-Smith at nine, we'll have more on Hillsborough. Uh, We'll be taking your calls, hopefully about buses. Uh, And I've got a dentist coming in to examine my teeth. When we had the meeting yesterday and I said, hey, we should get a dentist in to examine my teeth live on air, that sounded like a really good idea. Now I'm a little bit worried. Supposing he finds something. Supposing... uh, And also, why would you you ever choose to become a dentist? 
Because all you're going to be doing is, is looking in people's mouths. It's like becoming a chiropodist, isn't it? Why would you want to work with either extreme of the human body? Neither of them are particularly, particularly nice, particularly attractive parts of the body. I often wonder that. Hygienist. I used to see one hygienist who was, oh, she was horrible. She, there was a bloody mess. I'm not swearing. It was literally a bloody mess. Uh, and she was just, she would just really have a go at me. It would cause me all this pain and discomfort and be having a go at me constantly while I was getting my teeth done. Anyway, 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, the main story uh, today, it's on the front page of nearly all of the newspapers. Uh, the Prime Minister has apologised for the police cover-up that followed the deaths of 96 Liverpool football fans at the Hillsborough disaster. An independent report says the emergency services tried to blame the disaster on innocent fans who were crushed at the 1989 FA Cup semi-final. Among those who died was 16-year-old Kester Ball from St Albans. The Milton Keynes Dons manager, Carl Robinson, is a proud Liverpudlian and worked for eight years in the Liverpool's, uh, Liverpool Club's academy. He joins me on the line now. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. What does this apology mean to the people of Liverpool and, and the club? Um, I'd imagine it may an awful lot to the people who, who lost their loved ones. Mm. Um, and to, and to the city in general, it's been a boost that's been hard to live for fans for, for a long, long time. 23 years of have of of being judged. Um, and it, it's probably been something that's been very difficult for certain people to accept. And I think what happened yesterday was it was a a, a tremendous day for for sort of for justice in a way. Um, for me personally, uh, there's not a lot that can be done. The, the, the disappointing thing is that the game went ahead of Hillsborough. And when you read the report and when mm. you listen to the report, it should never have gone ahead. It's a depressing uh, I, I think read, isn't it? I think in 1981, I think it was, uh, it was a Tottenham and another game was held there and a very similar incident happened. There. Another semi-final wasn't held there for another eight years until this one. And it was, you just wonder who, who made them judgments. And uh, I think that's the next part of the story. Who, mm. Who's going to come out and who's going to be the one to blame, really. Carl, your your dad was there, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. It was, it was terrifying. Um, it's funny, the, the certain moments in people's lives that you always remember, i.e. 9-11, you know where you are. Mm. Um, Princess Di passed away. You, you, see, you tend to know where you were mm. that day. Um, and Hillsborough's probably one of them as well. And I remember being in, in my nan's and my dad went, my uncle went and the, the sort of the, the cameras flashed the hills but and saying there's been a fatality, people have passed away and when you when you you know your father's in the in the in the middle of it, it was uh, it was terrible and back then there wasn't many mobile phones. Of course. So it's not as if you could just get a phone call to say I'm okay. Um he was lucky cause he walked past that and he was in the in the st- in the stand looking down at it and it was um I think for everybody involved, it was a difficult time. Everybody within Liverpool tended to know somebody who had lost somebody or someone who lost their lives. So it was. It oh, was when, all did, when did you find out your dad was okay? How long did it take from we hearing a, the news? We got, we got a phone call about uh, four fifteen, I think it was, like okay. an hour later. Yeah. Um, for, for they had to do a payphone. What a frightening hour that must have been for you. It was, yeah, but you didn't know. It was really weird and surreal. You, you heard there was fatality, and you heard there was people um, struggling, but you didn't know to what extent. Um, probably not until a day later did you really understand what had gone on at Hillsborough. Mm. Um, it, it, it's just a, like, it was really weird. I went to watch Liverpool on uh, the Sunday against Man City um, with Alex Ray, and I was walking past the Anfield Road end um, where the Hillsborough Memorial is by the Shankly Gates, and 
this guy about 10 yards in front of us sort of was just walking and he stopped and he put his, he, he held his hand on the memorial mm. so no no more than 10 seconds closed his eyes said a few words and carried on walking and Alex Ray said that's you don't realise that people have lost their lives going towards football mm. um, so it's still very very raw and well this is the this is the thing you're, you're right it's 23 years on but it is still very raw. I'm imagining it, it, that, that people within the world of football still talk about this as, as a dark day. Well, the darkest day. Yeah. Um, and people would always love to blame somebody and to judge people from it. Um, and it, it, that, I think that's the hard thing to accept. When you've got people amongst them trying to save people's lives, and then they read different things two or three days later to find out that people saying they were trying to rob people mm. and and steal from people and, and that's a bit another bit that's very hard for people to accept. I think the report that's come out is, is, is groundbreaking and I think it's it just makes things mm. What was can't it? say easier, but it, well, it, it, it's vindicated the people that, that have, have been accused for the last twenty-three years. People who've, you know, the, the innocent people who've had the finger pointed at them for so long can finally, you know, walk with their heads held high because it's been proved that, that the authorities manipulated and lied yeah. and ch- cheated. I thought I think I think a lot of people, people who were there knew what happened that day, and people who knew their families knew what happened that day. Um, so they already knew mm. what what come out yesterday was was not a surprise to anybody that was surrounding it, whether it's a Liverpool football club, whether it's City of Liverpool, it's something they've always known. Just the fact that it came out and, and now people may look at it in a slightly different light. It's hard to imagine twenty three years ago, ninety six people left to go and watch it to go and follow the football team. And we'll have seven thousand fans come in our stadium on Saturday. And I think ninety six never returned home. Mm. Is it, is it, it's incredible. Is it, is it, yeah, it's a hard... Sort of and, you know, listen, I wasn't personally af- affected, but I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed and ashamed uh, and upset that my government, my police, my ambulance service, that's the one that's the real stinker for me, that they were so complicit in, in changing, you know, in, in lying and manipulating evidence. Uh, you know, it's yeah. uh, I thought the Prime so Minister was, was, was excellent yesterday. I yeah. thought to come out the way he did and, and the way he spoke and the way and, and the apologies that have come out since mm. it takes it takes a lot for people to apologise in my yeah. book yeah. people can make mistakes in life and it's easy to bury your head but for people to stand up and be counted yesterday and, and hold their head up and say listen I'm sorry for what I said I'm sorry for this that goes a long way for me because I think like you say people go through lives making mistakes and I think it's important that when you do make them you can ultimately stand up and say listen I'm sorry for that well, Carl, listen, uh, l- l- listen, hopefully we'll get you on uh, soon with something a little bit happier to talk about. And, and <laughs> on a lighter note, have a happy birthday. Yes, thanks very much. <laughs> Cheers, Thank mate. You Thank you very care. much. Bye. There's Carl Robinson, who's the uh, Milton Keynes Don's manager. Just talking about this incredible story about Hillsborough. When he was describing watching it on the telly and his dad was there. Oh, I got goosebumps then. Incredible. OK, moving on. It's 8.40 exactly. A protest meeting was held in Hitchin last night over plans to expand a junior school. People living close to Samuel Lucas School say they've been excluded from the decision. Robin Dartington is the man who called the meeting and joins me on the line now. Morning, Robin. Morning. Tell me more about this emergency meeting that was held. It was necessary to hold this meeting because the council um, uh, published its... Um proposal in the summer and had a consultation which they limited to parents at the school. No local residents were informed, nor were the allotment tenants whose land would be uh, taken away for the school expansion. 
So, um, two, two, uh, two days' notice, we were able to get a public meeting for the first time arranged, and we personally had to go around and drop 350 notices of the meeting in, in doors and things. We, 123 people turned up in a room that um, had 50 chairs, mm. and at the end of the meeting, there were still 80 people there who signed the petition that the proposal should not advance until more information had been released and cons- proper consultation had been taken now, that, that, Robin, sorry to interrupt. One, uh, one of the things that you're particularly upset about is the, the lack of information, and also that there was no notification in the local library. Is that really a big deal? Well, it depends if you think local people have any right to know what is going on in the area which is going to affect their lives. There is a system by which um, all such consultations are displayed in the local library mm. as one way of reaching people. But here, by inefficiency, the copy was not displayed in the library, nor was a copy sent to the hitching committee of the district council, which should have debated it, but which never did. So there was no alert through that route either. So the only people who knew about it were parents and people who the parents happened to um, mention it to. So... Okay. Uh, you know, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I just want to, we're running out of time. I just want to say we, we did approach the Samuel Lucas School. Uh, they didn't wish to make any comment to us. We are joined on the line, though, by uh, Terry Duris, the De- Deputy Executive Member for Education and Skills at Hertfordshire County Council. Good morning, Terry. Good morning to you. You listened to Robin there. What do you have to say in response? Well, my understanding is that we did actually undertake the full statutory consultation. Uh, We sent letters to residents who are local to the school, who are about the school. Um, We also uh, contacted MPs, county councillors, district councillors, various trade union representatives. There's a list of of people that we actually have to consult, and we did all of those. And you've done, obviously you've done the bare legal minimum, but do you not think with something as important as this, you should maybe just go that little bit further to get the information out? Well, I think, actually, we also did send a note to the um, to the library. Why it was not displayed, I, I can't say at this stage, and that's something that we will be looking at, or the library service will be looking at. Uh, we also actually wrote to all the parents at the school, who actually are a very good conduit for getting information out to the wider community. And we, we also, it's fair to say, had 66 responses. Not all in favour. Um, there, there was 25 in favour and a number against and a number who didn't have an opinion. How many against? Uh, 43. Okay, so that's that's significantly more, oh, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yes. We're not denying that there is a, 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 a number of people who probably live within the area who don't, who aren't happy with the idea of, of expanding this school. Having said that, there's a number of people living within the area who have children who would like to send their child to the to an excellent school, it's an outstanding school, mm. and a school which is local to where they live, so rather than being Robin, having to go across town. Robin, you've got 30 seconds to put a, 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 one point to Terry, because we're running out of time, apologies for that. What would you like to say to Terry? Well, two points. The, two points. The council maintains, is still maintaining, when it sent letters to residents, at the meeting, 123 people turned up, not one had received a thing. I'm going to have to interrupt you there, Robin. We've only got time for that one point. Terry, your response? We did. We believe we sent letters to the local people, but what we're trying to do is provide local school places for local children. 
Okay, listen, we have to leave it there. I'm sorry to leave it so short, um, but it's been a, a packed show, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, that's Robin Dartington, who called the meeting last night about the Samuel Lucas School and the proposed uh, expansion, and Terry Doris, the dec- Deputy Executive Member for Education and Skills at Hertfordshire County Council. I believe there's a meeting taking place on Wednesday the 19th where more decisions will be made, so no doubt we'll be following that story. It's 8.46, it's Thursday the 13th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police in Luton are still looking for the people who were in a stolen car that hit and killed a teenage cyclist on Vincent Road last week. The former Home Secretary, Jack Straw, has said he greatly regrets the failings of a judicial inquiry he ordered into the Hillsborough disaster when Labour came to power in 1997. In sport, in the final 2020 Cricket International at Edgbaston last night, England beat South Africa by 28 runs to draw the series one all. Your weather across beds, hearts and bucks, we're set for a fine and dry day. Bit warmer than yesterday with a top temperature of 19 degrees. And coming up this morning... Oh, I'm going to get my teeth checked out live on the air. Really? Is that what you want to hear? Is it? BBC Three Counties Radio. Ah, dearie, dearie me. Have you brushed your teeth this morning? Did you brush them last night? Well, a report by Sharp, the Simply Health Advisory Research Panel, says that just over one in five people in beds, hearts and bucks are going for two days without brushing their teeth. And over a quarter of us are missing out on treatment because we can't afford it. Earlier on, I spoke to uh, David Bloom. He runs a dental practice in Watford. He told us about the dangers of not cleaning your teeth. There is a study just done in California that shows that if you're brushing your teeth only once a day, you have a 65% increase risk of dementia. Really? How does that work? That seems incredible the two are connected. It does seem incredible. That's the latest study. But we're very aware that that, uh, gum disease is linked with general health issues. And the important thing is to be brushing at least twice a day with a fluoride toothpaste. And just as importantly, using something to clean between the teeth. Classically, classically that would be floss. But now we have much easier ways to do that with little interdental brushes, like mini bottle brushes. Well, our reporter Jenna has been in Flamstead asking you about your dental routine. Have you cleaned your teeth this morning? Yes, I have, yeah. And how many times a day do you clean your teeth? Twice. What about if you're really tired, you're going to bed and you're thinking, oh, I really can't be bothered? Do you ever leave it? Yeah, occasionally, yeah. And what about yourself? Have you cleaned your teeth this morning? Oh, yes, yeah. And are you one of those people who who constantly cleans their teeth and is quite good with their dental hygiene? Um, I am quite good, yeah, definitely twice a day. And I'm same with my kids. And if they've eaten lollies and stuff, try and clean your teeth after that. Yes. A report out today says that over one in five people in bed, hearts and bucks leaves it two days without cleaning their teeth. What do you think about that? I think that's absolutely foul. That just makes my mouth go, the thought of it. Russell, Karen, what are your thoughts on teeth hygiene? Do Do you constantly clean your teeth? Do you make sure that you do it at least twice a day? Yeah, I absolutely do. But Russell, you don't so much. Once a week? No, I clean my teeth every day. Sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, it does make a big difference. I do notice Russ's halitosis kicks in if he only brushes his teeth once a day. Sometimes he doesn't brush them at all in one day. Do you check up on him? Do you go into the bathroom and see if the toothbrush is dry? Um, yes, I do sometimes, actually. But I, I have been known to use his toothbrush, which annoys him somewhat. Russell, defend yourself. Do you clean your teeth every day? Yes, of course I do. Has there ever been a time where you thought, actually, I'm a bit tired, I can't be bothered to clean my teeth, I'd rather have an extra five minutes in bed? If we finish work really late, then maybe, but That's no. Disgusting. But she does use my toothbrush. <laughs> How does that make you feel? It's disgusting. But but you're not using it. Well, I am. 
<laughs> you guys, you're standing here at the bus stop. You've got your bags with you. You yeah. look like the kind of people who maybe go to travel in a, about a bit, maybe go to a couple of festivals. Has there ever been a time where you've been camping or something and you, you haven't had the chance or the opportunity to clean your teeth? At Glastonbury and you can't... It's one o'clock in the morning, you're in a tent and you just think, I oh, know what, I can't be bothered to brush my teeth. And you go to bed fairy teeth it's horrible we've all done the thing though haven't we where we forgot to brush our teeth and we just like rub them with our finger that's that almost counts as we've done that haven't we that counts as tooth brushing well dr dan Schaffer is here he runs a dental practice in harpenden uh, and you're going to check my teeth over in a little bit i'm really looking forward to that thanks very much uh one uh, one in five of us don't brush for two days are you it- surprised by that well it's a bit of a shocking statistic i didn't think it was quite as many as that um Personally, you know, there has been the odd occasion, very, very occasionally, where I haven't been able to brush my teeth. You have a very late night yep. or you're stuck somewhere in the middle of nowhere without a toothbrush and you always feel really grotty in the morning yep. uh, when you don't brush. And what that feeling is, is is the bacteria starting to form in your mouth. And let's think of it like that because no one really likes the idea of a mouthful of bacteria. And and I heard you've well, you been... like that, no, <laughs> you don't, no. Well, no, I mean, you, you use Dettol, you know, you clean kitchen work surfaces yep. and, and then you leave bacteria in your mouth it's a funny old thing is it true we had a guy on earlier on who claimed to be an expert uh, he was he was lovely but it could, not brushing your teeth can lead to dementia there's a few things in the past five years been a lot of research coming out a lot of literature supports the fact that a large circulating reservoir of bacteria in your body can cause all kinds of problems in your body and it can start off in the mouth and around your teeth and gums and the things that it can be connected to are heart disease heart attacks wow. dementia um uh, low birth weight babies, um, premature births as That's well. Genuinely terrifying. It, it is. Yeah. You must have seen some pretty horrible things in people's mouths, haven't you? I, I've seen all kinds of stuff. I've done such a, a large variety of kinds of dentistry. I've worked with homeless people. I've, I've uh, been visiting elderly people for about 13 years mm. now. Uh, I've worked in NHS dentistry and private dentistry as well. And there's such a wide variety out there. The main thing I think that we've got to remember um, as the main message, if you don't remember anything else, is that if you brush twice a day uh, using a decent toothbrush, preferably an electric if you can mm. afford to get one, um, then you can avoid having expensive and extensive dentistry dentistry in the future because it is expensive even on the nhs it's expensive i chipped i chipped my tooth uh, i was doing uh, dance for comic relief and i fell off the stage and i chipped my tooth i went to get two quotes i went to get a private quote they wanted mm. ten thousand pounds <laughs> really <laughs> like, well, okay thanks <laughs> and i went to the nhs uh, and it was still 60 quid to get it done. Yeah, well, whatever you get in dentistry, unless you uh, comply with the uh, w- with the benefits regulations, um, then you might be able to get free treatment mm. at the NHS. But it, but if you can't, then everything in dentistry will cost, yeah. and it's sensible because it takes the dentist time to do it. I'm looking at the clock. I suppose we have to do this now. Are you sure you want to do this? No, I don't want to do it in the slightest. You sound a bit nervous. <laughs> I am nervous. I listen, I go to the dentist regularly. I'm 39. I've got no fillings. Right. Uh, so my teeth are all right, but I know they could be in better condition. I don't do the flossing. I don't do the little brushes. Right. Uh, I do it for, like, the week before I go and see the hygienist. And say, yes. Oh, yeah, I've been doing this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you warm up and make it look as if you've been doing it all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So come, would you come have a look at my mouth, please? Sure, Dan? sure. No problem okay. at all. What is it you're nervous of exactly? Is it? you're nervous of uh, that we're going to find something terrible you might do supposing you say oh you're going to need a filling there you're going to need that one out 
Yeah. Can you do that here? Have you got the, the, the equipment to pull a tooth out? I tell you why, I, I'm not afraid of the dentist, but I had a lot of orthodontics when I was a child, and I had a lot mm-hmm. of teeth out and a lot of braces and stuff like that, so it just makes me a little bit uncomfortable. A little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's various reasons why people are uncomfortable, and yes. it can be based on a bad childhood experience or adult experience, and, and sometimes we don't see people uh, until they haven't attended for 10 years, because yeah. they keep putting it off and keep putting it off, and, and then when they actually come in, they're very nervous of what yeah. we're going to find, and most of the time okay. it's really not as bad as they think have it's going to be. Have you got any gas? Can you give me some gas? Do you still I, do that? I haven't got it with me, I'm oh, afraid. Man. We can ask the local maternity department like maybe to bring it in. What have you got? What tools have you got? <laughs> right, what I've got, I've got a pointer and I've got a mirror with me. Oh, so I'm going to hold fine. the mirror and I'm going to have the pointer, but I'm not going to poke with the pointer. Okay, good. Okay? Good. All I'm going to do is just maybe, if there's a little bit of plaque on your teeth, just move it out of the way <laughs> so I can see the teeth. Okay? Come on then, Dan. Let's, Here have, we let's go, have a look. Then. Okay, so this is being filmed, which is very exciting. I, I will right, do, do my best. Do you want me to just tell, tell yes, you please. what I'm doing as I go along? Yes, Dan. So open your mouth nice and wide, uh, Ian. That's great. You uh-huh. don't need to say R if you don't want uh-huh. to. <laughs> uh-huh. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to have a look around your mouth and just uh-huh. have a look at your teeth individually. Uh-huh. And I can see that you've got lots of teeth. There's loads in there. Uh-huh. And uh, And actually, they're looking in quite good uh-huh. condition. So all those dreams that you've had of all your teeth falling out, you can stop having them now if you want to. Okay, lose, lose the anxiety dreams. Uh-huh. And I'm just looking around and counting your teeth and uh, yeah I can see that you've had good orthodontics yeah. done okay. and in general terms your teeth are in very good condition uh-huh. so you're doing very well there's no areas of big decay or anything about to fall okay. out so all those fears you can put to rest so uh- it's a little bit better than you thought it might be uh-huh that's right now it, it, you probably don't sound great on radio with uh, with uh, the dental tools uh-huh. in your mouth. <laughs> I sound better than normal, I would say. I, it sounds like there's a butt coming, Dan. Well, butt, and there's a, uh. a minor issue, which is a little bit of scale just building up on your teeth. Now, the scale is exactly like the scale in the kettle, uh-huh. and it just builds up, it precipitates out from the salts in your saliva. Yes. It's not a major issue at all, and it's very normal to have it there. I feel like you're going in for a kiss <laughs> in this position. <laughs> I'm leaning back in my chair, but I'm sure you're not, but it's, I'm leaning back in my chair as I was anticipating such a thing. I yes. don't usually kiss my patients, okay, unless I treat my wife. Okay. Um, uh, is that you- how you treat? Yeah. <laughs> I'm treating you. You got a free dental appointment this afternoon with me. Oh, yeah, thanks, but Dan. you have to kiss me. <laughs> um, but she won't pay her bill then. Oh. Um, anyway, uh, with this scale that's on your teeth, it's yes. only a little bit. It's not a major problem. We right. do recommend getting it cleaned off every six months. Now, is the, the hygienist thing? Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Is that a con when you say I think you should go and see the hygienist? It's definitely not a con. Okay. There's, two, there's two things you can do that are going to avoid dental treatment. The yep. first thing is get cleaned up every six months regularly by yes. a hygienist or a dentist. And that will remove this layer of scale. Now, this layer of scale, it harbours bacteria. Right. And it's going to irritate your gums. And if you're looking at research to do with <laughs> dementia and things like that, then you, you can always get it removed and that will remove the bacteria. If you're watching this on the video, what a strange position to uh, conduct an interview <laughs> from. Go on, you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Steady, steady. When I go and see the, the hygienist, it's like there's been a war, though. It's just, there's, there's blood everywhere. It's not nice. Really? Well, I mean, healthy gums won't tend to bleed as much okay. as unhealthy gums. So maybe if you've had the scale booming, I mean, you, you were telling me just before that you kind of put it off and yes. you ignore the reminder, and then you kind of get in yeah. contact a couple of months after you get the reminder. We've got, we've got 20 seconds. Is there anything that you can do? Um, what you can do is buy yourself an electric toothbrush. Oh, I've got an electric. You've got an electric. Are you finished? Can I sit up now? Yeah, you oh, can bless sit you, Dan. Up. Sit no, down. I'll thank move you. Over the other side. I've got an electric, and I've learned the thing that you don't do. You don't brush with an electric. You no, hold right. it. That's right. But as men, we never read instructions. Of, of course, course. Not. No. Uh, In the instructions, it does say that you're holding it and trying to dig your bristles into your gum line instead of scrubbing like with a manual toothbrush. Yes. And that will really put off further uh, treatment for you. So it's well worth doing. It's preventive medicine. Thank you very much. So my teeth. Marks out of ten for my teeth. 
I'd say you get a 9 out of 10. I think you're doing yes. really well. They're shiny, they're clean. And you I only got... brush them once a day. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm stumped. I'm stumped. <laughs> You've got some sweeties there. Can I have one? I do. I bought some sugar-free lollies for being such a good boy. <laughs> Here you go. You can have a sugar-free lollipop. Thank you very much, Doctor. There we go. Are you, are you actually a doctor? I, they call me Dr. Schaffer. Okay. Um, you have a choice as a dentist whether to call yourself doctor or not, and I choose to do it because we feel it make, makes people reveal more of their medical history. Go for the doctor every time. You, if you have the option. <laughs> to call yourself doctor you'd do that wouldn't you well it means you get a better table at a restaurant <laughs> <laughs> dr shaffer thank you very much for coming in. it's very nice to meet you and uh, you smelt delightful as well thank you very much there you go wonderful stuff uh, on that bombshell <laughs> well there we go we can end the show knowing that my teeth score a nine out of ten that's better than i was expecting and i'm now going to eat some sweeties uh, right i'll be back tomorrow at six o'clock but stay listening because coming up after the news at nine it's jonathan vernon smith Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.